Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. It is May the 15th, 2020. I have been having the worst issues, technical difficulties over the last couple hours. I have been pulling my damn hair out. So, um, and I don't know why, I've, I've never really come across too many technical difficulties with uh, with getting the podcast put together, but um, sure enough... This has been fun. So I'm breaking things up a little bit. We did a full interview with Eric where we went through every team in the NFL and their schedule. For some reason, it wasn't uploading, and I've put up other uh, bigger podcasts. You don't care about any of this stuff, I'm sure, but I I had to get it off my chest. So uh, we're going to talk NFL with Eric. We're going to go... Through from Arizona through Dallas, we break down um, all of their schedules, team win totals, over unders. We get real in depth, and then next week we'll finish up from Dallas. The rest of the league, we have Santa Anita Friday horse racing to talk about. Churchill Saturday with Darren Zocali, Santa Anita Saturday, and then we close the show out with the SummerSlam 1991 rewatch recap review with Darren Zocali. And Andrew Champagne. So enjoy this episode of That's What G Said. We're going to get right on into it with Eric talking uh, Arizona through Dallas NFL schedules. Okay, we've had a week or so to dive into the uh, NFL schedules. They were released um, last Thursday. We're recording this interview midday on Thursday, and we're going to talk some NFL. So, one of our good friends and one of the best to follow. When it comes to NFL gambling discussion, um, you know, any, anything really sports related. But when we focus on the NFL, we're able to really dig in. My good friend, Eric, you know him online, E Toft. E, give, give me your online one more time. Give, me, give, give, us, give the folks where do we follow you? Uh, e Toft 21 Sports. E Toft 21 Sports. How are things going on your end, buddy? Uh, pretty good. Need a shave and a haircut, but other than that, no complaints. <laughs> yeah, cool. I'm, uh, I, I just, I just uh, did the did the shave myself like a few days ago, and the main reason why I did it was because it was freaking ninety five degrees out here. So I was like, "Damn it!" It was getting so hot for about a week. I just was sweating like crazy. I was like, "I better get, I better uh, shed a pound or two of uh, of weight right here with the hair." But uh, um, hey, we got some football to talk about again. Anytime right now in the world of sports, there's like an event or some like release. It was the draft, uh, UFC, what people were going crazy about last weekend. We're seeing some of these tracks opening back up and now we got the schedule release. So it gives us a little bit of hope. It gives us something to look forward to. And you and I are going to break down the schedule. We're going to go team by team. And for the, just for everyone listening, this discussion, we're going to assume that a full season is played, that every game is played. Um, the schedule, we're going to go through the schedule as is it's, we, we couldn't try to predict anything that will happen down the line if they have to cut games, um, you know, change the dates, whatever. We'll address those times when, when they get there. We'll break those games down individually week by week. But right now, we're going to look at the big picture as a whole, all the schedules that have come out. And then just a couple of so- um, uh, notes off the top uh, to mention too, Eric. So we have no international games this year. When you're looking yes. at the schedule, that was the one thing. Um, no London games. I think there were five or six of them that were scheduled, but because of the travel, the virus, they wanted. They just felt like if they're going to play the games in, in their own stadiums, they'll have a better um, a better feel for you know safety protocols, anything additional they have to do. So we don't have those international games to worry about. Anything big picture that that just jumps off the top before you we get into some of the teams, like um, anything that jumps out of you or things that you're maybe really looking forward to. Um, I mean, I'm just looking forward to the season starting. I'm looking forward to the cards 
San Francisco matchup because those were always kind of fantasy gold yeah, last year right? in every they matchup. Were fun. Um, and that Bucks stretch where they have all those games in prime time, I think there's going to be some good uh, opportunity to fade them and bet against them. They got five primetime games this year And the Patriots also have five primetime games Another team who's kind of moving up the ranks quietly And becoming a more desirable team to watch is the Bills They're going to be in primetime four times this year We're going to see the Raiders a ton um, in primetime And we're going to get the first game of the season underway On Thursday, September the 10th It's going to be the Chiefs versus the Texans We're going to get that rematch from Last year's playoff when the the Texans had that big lead and they spit it out against the Chiefs So we're going to get Watson and Mahomes early on And you know what, like right off the bat week one before we start getting into the the Cardinals and we'll go team by team We have some fun kind of interesting games right off the bat We got the Texans Chiefs, we got a good divisional game with the Packers and the Vikes We, We get to, you mentioned the Cardinals 49ers where the 49ers are so good But one of their weaknesses last year were the mobile quarterbacks You know, they struggled against, you know, Lamar and Wilson and and, and Murray Who who guys that can move around a little bit We're going to get Brady versus Breeze And then we're going to get the Cowboys-Rams for the Sunday night game And then when you get two Monday night games, it's always fun So not a bad week one to get things kicked off Browns-Ravens too yeah, you're right. And the Browns beat the Ravens last year, and the Ravens are the hot team, and the Browns are kind of like quietly just a lot uh-huh. better to, uh, put together this year. So, man, I- I'm pumped. This is going to be a lot of fun. Let's jump right into uh, the Arizona Cardinals. We're going to go alphabetically. We'll go team by team. So, I, th- I think we'll- looking around, their over unders were around seven, uh, their win total, I, I think. And you mentioned a couple fun games for them are going to be those 49ers games This team just looks to be so much more improved Um, They're going to be better at the wide receiver position Their defense is going to be a little bit better And after that 49ers game They have, you know, four very winnable games in a row Where they've got the Redskins and Lions at home And they go on the road and play the Panthers and the Jets So if they're able to upset San Francisco Or even, you know, play close, get a little confidence uh, Heading into that stretch They could you know, be four and one, three and two after five games and putting themselves in a decent spot. But the flip side is if they lose to San Francisco and then lose to the Redskins they're and in lose trouble. to the Lions, sure, sure. I mean, they're done. And they're one and of these teams that's either like, uh, there's so many of these teams that are on the bubble this year. That's what's fun about this NFL season is like on fringe teams. Could this team be a nine win team or could they, you know, be again like in that five, six range? I mean, there's so much in terms with them. Just hinging on games two and three That they will kind of shape their season And with how the Lions blew that game last year I mean the Lions Definitely got to have that one circled And ready to get a little bit of revenge And it's always tough playing back-to-back Games on the road but three on the road With the last one being a Monday night game And um, AT&T And then you go to Seattle I mean that bye they have in week eight Couldn't come at a better time And then you look at, then they have two winnable games at home against the Dolphins and the Bills, but they have that short week. They're not pushovers, like the Bills aren't a pushover team anymore either, you know, that game definitely could go either way. I mean, that, exactly, and plus they have the short week right after the Bills game where they travel to to, uh, Seattle, but the... But they have a lot of stuff where they go East Coast, West Coast, East Coast, West Mm -hmm. Coast, a lot of back and forth stuff. I mean... For betting-wise, I definitely have Week 14 at the Giants. I have that game circled just because they'll play the Patriots at home, have to go all the way. Um, then they go back the, to the West Coast. Yep. Yeah, and then they the come West back Coast. to the yeah. East. You're right. So and that's a lot that's of after, darting back and forth. And they have the Eagles Seattle, on that. And you're right. They go at Seattle, then at New England. 
then they come home, and then they go back to the Giants. That's a and, brutal travel stretch. And that and that, that's right at the right time, that Giants game, right toward the end of it, right before they come home for two games against the Eagles and 49ers. That's like a perfect, perfect uh, circle spot. I did play the um, Cardinals plus 800 to win it all. There's this website. It is, I think, 5-8-30. And they have a stat called coin flip games. And the cards were one, three, and one in those last year, while the 49ers were seven and three and the Seahawks were five and one. So I'm banking on that stuff flipping the other way. At least so evening re- out, just coming yeah. back to the mean, right? Yeah. So I, I really like them actually to kind of be competitive for the West. And I put a play in at plus 800 for them, for them to win the West. West. Yeah. I have their ceiling at 10 and six, but if they lose those two games to the Redskins and the 49 and the Lions, I mean, the season could bottom out, and it could, they could be a 5-11 and 11 team. Yeah, they're one of those teams that I think I'm going to be watching at least one of those first couple of games, and they might be a team I play more week-to-week week than overall. You know, they, I might play them in some spots here and there where they maybe they're coming off a loss, you know, on one of these tough road games, and then their, their price is a little inflated. Then you maybe get an extra point or two. But, yeah, as far as overall, they're, they're a tough one for me to get, a, to get a real feel on because, like you said, they're one of these teams that you feel like their, their range is so wide. Like, if yeah, you told they me they... They won five games or ten because they're in a tough division too. Like they're gonna have six games right off the bat that aren't gonna be easy. And then also, if they start three and zero, oh, I can guarantee I'm gonna take the Panthers plus the points. Yeah, on their first trip out east on week yep. four. Yep, that's a great point. Uh, we get to the Falcons, Atlanta Falcons. They're over under, I believe, is like seven and a half or so in a lot of spots. Um, they don't have an easy start to the season though. Uh, they've got the Seahawks at home, who they always generally play pretty tough, though, especially at home. Then they go at Dallas, they play the Bears at home, and then they go at Green Bay. Those are four losable games. I, I don't know if they're going to go zero and four, but if you to- if they were zero and four, it wouldn't be a huge shock. Then the schedule gets a little bit easier. They get a couple games against the Panthers in between there, but they they're going to have to play a Broncos team that a lot of people are high on. Then they have to go, you know, at the Saints. They have to go at the Chiefs and at the Bucks to 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 close yeah. things out. That's not easy. No. Um, when I was looking at them, I would just want to say the one thing I like about them is their offense. I have this stat I use called abandoned targets. And that's for people that have left the team. They have 258 abandoned targets this season. So, I mean, there's a lot of fantasy value. And the only people they really brought in they are going to clip into that is Gurley and uh, Hurst, the tight end. So, I mean, those two guys right off the bat, have huge fantasy value, even Julio Jones. But you're right, it's a tough schedule. I mean, winning all those games to close out the season gave them that second-place schedule in the South, which kind of is hard for them this year. And they have three potential playoff teams out of the first four weeks to to go up against, which is tough. I mean, two and two to start the season, I would consider a victory for them. Oh, yeah, and they don't have any games that you immediately circle. Like, even their games against the Panthers, right? Like, those are divisional games. We don't really know a lot about the Panthers. I don't think they're going to be that good. But if they were okay, at least, and not awful, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. So they're they're like they're we don't see any like immediate circle games on on their schedule that are like definite wins. You know, the Lions aren't. Who knows with the Lions, right? Like, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about them when we get there. If they're competitive, that's not going to surprise me. The Broncos people are high on this year too. So yeah, they they just. They don't seem to have a ton of down spots in their schedule. It's just going to be a lot of tough weeks for them, like week in, week out for the they Falcons. Have, 
they have some great spots though where you can probably get some good value. Like yep, if they yep, go I agree. into Monday night football and they play the Packers competitively, I'm definitely gonna be on the play the Packers competitively. I'm definitely gonna be on the Panthers on that week five matchup. And then they have they travel to Carolina on the short week on week eight after playing Detroit at home, which is gonna be tough. And they have the Raiders sandwiched in between two Saints games. That so I mean, the, dead spot. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. There's definitely like some situational plays because anytime I look at the schedule, I just kind of start circling the, the situational plays sure. where if the number and the situation line up, I really like them. But that close to the se- season when three out of the four are on the road and going to San Diego, that's not going to San Diego. I mean, Los Angeles, my fault, is definitely going to be definitely going to be hard because that game sandwiched in between the Saints and the Bucks. So, I mean, that definitely is, a, like, a letdown spot traveling out to the West Coast. And that, then you yeah, finish that, with the after Bucks the bye, That's brutal. You're right. Yeah. They're, they're after, like, their first four are rough. And then the whole after the bye is rough. And then even that middle part, you know, when you have to travel to the Vikings, you got to, like, you could totally have a down spot against either the Panthers or the Lions in either one mm-hmm. of them. And then the Broncos with their defense, they're going to hit you in the mouth at home. So, yeah, I'm definitely under on the Falcons, like in their season win total. I just think they're going to struggle this year. Um, I just, like you said, they can score, but defensively, I still need to see more from them. So this is a dead under for me, for sure. Um, the first we, four games are going to just going to make or break their season. Yep, I mean. and you said two and two puts them in a great spot. But if they're any, if they're less than, two, it's it's one of those things. Just like the difference between two and two and one and three is so big, Huge. especially to start. You know, and it feels like if it feels like two at one and three, you're in some trouble right off the bat because you're not going to be able to make up that ground late unless you're you're going to play a Chiefs team that may be sitting starters or something like that at that point of the season. But you're going to have two games against the Bucks that are going to be tough right there to end. You have two Saints games in your last seven, so. Yeah, not not and a fan plus, of it. Plus, there's the extra playoff team this year. So yep. I mean, all these games are going to have so much value. Even in even that Seattle game at the very beginning of the season, the Cowboys team, if it comes down to that third wild card spot, I mean, I could see them going five and eleven. But I think Matt Ryan's really good, and I think this offense is good, and I could see them actually going. They could nine steal and some seven. games. Yeah, could they could them steal going some nine games. and seven. But I mean, five and eleven is definitely a possibility, especially with how young that defense is in the back four. We go to the Ravens, who on paper, which is strange, they actually have the softest strength of schedule. They only have one time where they play back-to-back road games, and they have, you know, on their their schedule, they probably have games against three or four of the worst teams in the league, uh, at least on paper to start. You know, they're going to have two games against the Bengals, who are going to be improved, but they're still projected as one of the worst, you know, teams in the league. They're going to play the Redskins. They're going to play uh, the Jags, and they're going to play the Giants. And the way they end the season with the the Jags, Giants, Bengals is not very difficult at all. Um, they have a huge game to start, though, a real a real fun game where they, they play at home against the Browns. And the Browns, it, it, one of the two games last year, they beat them up, and the Browns will play them well. Uh, then they, they go at Texans and Chiefs, so... Maybe not. Maybe the most difficult part of their schedule is right off the bat. Um, it, you know, with those three games, then they have a later part of the schedule uh, towards the end where they go at Colts, at Patriots, home for the Titans, at Steelers, uh, home for the Cowboys, at Browns. So that's not a, not an easy little stretch. But they're. I mean, they look on paper like they have a pretty good schedule. I mean, I look at them like you said. That Browns game is going to be really. I think it's going to be really entertaining. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the Browns are definitely one of the improved teams going into the next year. And then they go, go at, at the Texans, and the Texans are going to have 10 days to prepare for that game because they're going to be coming off the Thursday night game at, 
um, KC. And then week three is that Monday night football game against the Chiefs. So, I mean, there's definitely going to be value on the Texans, especially if the Ravens handle the Browns and the Texans get embarrassed by the Chiefs. There's definitely going to be some value in the Texans on week two. And then that Monday night game is going to easily be one of the games of the year to start off one of the first three. And then after that, they got two winnable games, and then they got the Eagles and the Steelers right over the right to the bye. The interesting stretch for me is those weeks nine through fourteen when they're at Colts, at the Patriots for Sunday Night Football, Titans, the short week traveling to um, the Steelers, and then the Cowboys and Browns. I mean, that's kind of an interesting little schedule. And it's it's kind of like right after the bye, and it couldn't come at a better time. I actually bet the under 11 and a half for them just because I feel the division. That's a high number. A it's just a high number. Yeah. I feel the division is just going to be a lot tougher. Teams start figuring out the offense with um, toward the end of the year. And they have more film now and everything was that was brand new. And also, if they do good this year, Greg Roman's going to leave and that offense is going to be completely different in two years. So, I mean, this this could basically be the last year of the Ravens window. Ravens projected to be one of the better teams on paper, but again, like those are just hot. yeah. That when you, once you start getting up in the double digits, like especially into eleven, that's just high numbers. You know, you see eleven, eleven and a half in, in, in a lot of spots. Plus um, was that plus one twenty. So I mean, you yeah. got to take it then. Yeah, uh, we go the Bills. Uh, their over under is nine, and they're an interesting team. Um, they are, I guess, when you look on paper, the you know the favorites to uh, to come out of the division. They have tough games at home against the Chiefs and the Seahawks. They have uh, tough games on the road against the Titans, Cardinals, 49ers, and Broncos. But they will get a couple games against the Jets. They will get the two against the the Dolphins. Um, they have a game uh, on the road against the Raiders. They get the Steelers at home. Where do you stand with the Bills? Um, the interesting thing about them is Diggs is coming there. And I talked about my abandoned targets thing. They only have 35 abandoned targets. So other people on the offense are going to suffer with digs coming in um the interesting thing to me is they have those two afc east teams to start off and then they have the rams and then it's kind of the meaty part of the schedule with the next three games and that thursday night game at um at home against the chiefs if they play that competitively i'm definitely going to be on the jets at home i also the back-to-back i started finding this trend like if a team plays back-to-back primetime games I tend to fade them in the second one so I definitely have that week 14 game against the Steelers circle and that's going to be a revenge spot because remember the Bills were the team that knocked the Steelers out of the playoffs last year in that Sunday night game that was really ugly I'm actually not sipping the Kool-Aid quite yet in the Bills I actually took the plus plus, excuse me under nine at plus 105 um I just think I have too many questions about Allen as the quarterback. He's really inconsistent. He overthrows Diggs too much. Is Diggs going to throw a fit when he doesn't get the ball? I'm just not sipping the Kool-Aid yet. I do. I am starting to come around on Zach Moss, though, for fantasy because I think he's going to he's going to just going to be the Frank Gore um, running back. And I think they're trying to going to get a lot of touchdowns. Yeah. yeah, I think they're going to. It's going to kind of be like when Ingram and Kamara were in uh, New Orleans together. I think that's kind of what they're trying to create in uh, Buffalo. The Bills, one of those kind of in between teams. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think they're going to be better. Uh, I think they're going to be a good, a good football team. But I'm not. I'm kind of with you. I'm not like completely sold on them. Um, quite, quite yet. As we but move on, but it's not like when you like because I, I rewatched the game they uh, they lost to the Texans. 
like when I watched that game, rewatched that playoff game, I I didn't say to myself, boy, if they had Stefan Diggs, they would have won this game. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't feel like he's like the missing thing they take him. No, because for the, for them, they're gonna. It's all gonna be on Josh Allen for them. They're gonna yeah. go as far as he will take them. If he can, if he can progress and improve and become a better decision maker, then then they'll they'll go far. If mm-hmm. he's gonna continue to be someone that hurts them, I guess as much as he helps them, then they're gonna be you know that team that hovers around eight nine wins. You know, and then uh, there'll be that pressure with Fromm on the bench. That could be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. We move on to the Panthers. They, you know, all defensive team in the draft. They are going to look new with uh, with Teddy B uh, calling the plays. Their over under is only five and a half, though it's one of the lowest. And I mean, when you when you look at their schedule, uh, they got a home game to start against the Raiders, but then you look at games that you probably want to start saying are losses. You know, at Tampa, at the Chargers, home against the Cardinals won't be easy. Um, at the Falcons, home against the Bears won't be easy. At the Saints, they have to play at the Chiefs. You know, they get another one with the the Bucks. Um, even the Lions at home isn't a gimme. They got to go at Vi- at the Vikings, at the Packers, uh, Saints to close things out. So. You know, I, I think they're probably going to be pretty bad. I don't know. Like Teddy feels like the type of guy who's good in a spot where he just, you know, like he was in New Orleans last year, where he just kind of needs to manage things and not make mistakes. I don't know if he's going to be able to carry a team where he's going to need to make some plays. And then defensively, they're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Where do you stand with the Panthers? I mean, I I know week one they have the Raiders traveling to the East Coast. I'll probably definitely. Beyond them in that situation just because it's a West Coast team with an early start game. Then they have those two road games. And with the way people are betting the Bucks, I mean, the, the line for that week two game on bet online is already up to plus eight for the Panthers. I mean, if that gets to 10, that's high for sure. If that gets to 10, that's a no brainer bet. Absolutely. And absolutely. Then, um, weeks seven through 10, that's a rough spot. I mean, at the Saints, where it's Bridgewater and Joe Brady returning to New Orleans, short week um, for the Falcons, then at the Chiefs and the Bucks. I mean, that's just a brutal, a brutal stretch. I mean, and their bye is not until late either. So, I mean, they're going to be playing a lot of football, and they don't have their bye to week 13, which is great if you own Christian McCaffrey in fantasy football because you don't have to worry about sitting him. But, I mean, if their bye, if their bye was a little bit earlier – Maybe they would be able to sneak out some of these games, but I just I'm low on them. I see them going like three and thirteen. Yeah, I think they're gonna be one of the worst teams in the league. They yeah. have O line issues. I mean, I like what they did on their defense, but I'm just not a Teddy They still feel like guy. they're they're gonna be a year away on the defense. You know, yeah. they're just gonna be young on the defense. They're much they're they're gonna be better, but they're just gonna be super young there. So yeah, to me, I think this is gonna be one of the worst teams in the league. Um as we move on to the Bears. You know they're interesting because pe- they're one of those teams that, to me, were kind of like the Browns. Like people were super high on them last year. Everybody thought they were going to be awesome, and they they regressed a little bit. When you have the super dominant defense, sometimes even if that defense one one year is so so good, they come back to life just a little bit, and and that makes you you as a team you know lose a couple victories. This Bears team's start to the season is so crucial. That first game against the Lions, right? I think whoever wins that game, their either team will feel much better about where their season's going to go, even because it's just one game. Because I think you have a lot of question marks about those two teams. Because there's an, a world 
where you could easily see the beer, the Bears going three and zero to start, but they could very easily lose to the Lions. Then they got that weird game in between where they come back home and they play the Giants, and then they got to travel to the Falcons where they could definitely lose that game on the road. And then they come home and they have to play a Colts team that I really like and a Buccaneers team that is going to be better. So I like when you mention to the difference between maybe playing a full season over under and then playing the spots because that's great to, to mention those things for all the people out there. So kind of where do you see the Bears overall or and, and and or maybe spots that you would like or play against them? I mean, the big question is, are they who are they going to commit to at quarterback? I mean, I just everyone here because I live in the Chicago area says holes because they obviously didn't extend Trubisky. And the funny thing is, with how the salary cap is, they would have saved more money if they just would have extended him for one more year because it cost $10 million for a capable backup now, and the salary cap is going up. Um, but yeah, they start off on the road at the Lions. I mean, that's kind of going to make or break their season. Kind of like, what are we? I still think they have a lot of O-line issues. That Giants game at home, I'll probably be on the Bears there because that's right before the Giants play the 49ers. Um, I like the spot they are in in week five because they play Tampa Bay, and Tampa has to travel up to Chicago on the short week. But then they play two back-to-back games on the road, one Monday night football. And that one's rough because it's always rough when you play Monday night football on the West Coast and then have a 1 o'clock start on Sunday on the East Coast, which they have against the Saints the following week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you come home and you play Saints after having to play the Rams on the road late Monday night in California. Yep. I mean, that's just a rough one. And then you got the Vikings on Monday night football, the bye at the Packers. They closed the season with two out of three on the road with at the Vikings, Jags, and then the Packers. I mean, they could easily be three and seven when they go into that bye, or they can easily be seven and three. I mean, all of it just hinges on that first week. And I Mm -hmm. mean, they just have certain stinches of the schedule, like weeks three through five. I mean, those are tough with the Falcons, Colts, and Bucks. But, I mean, they caught the Bucks at the great spot on the short week. So, I mean, it just kind of depends. Like, they just have so they, many questions. Like, Their I mean, total so of eight feels right. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. with, with what you said, like, they could be either or. They just feel like a kind of 500 team. But they – I wouldn't be shocked. Like, they were, they're going to be a good team to play in spots this throughout the year. They will I mean, because they – if they lose to the Lions and beat the Giants, then like play the lose the Giants. I mean, their I mean, season could just they could be out one of the worst teams in the league. You know what Easily. I mean? Like that's why it's yep. so big. It's so crucial. They're they're definitely one of those fun either or teams that we look at all throughout the year. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be they're a much better roster this year. They're a lot more talented, um, but they still are going to be a year or so away. Um, they'll be I think a little more competitive, and for them, I think this is going to be the big year uh, as something that you've mentioned in previous shows. For them, it's going to depend on, I think, their head coach. How good is their head coach? Is this guy legitimate? Can he get an offense that works? He, he, they don't have to win games. We just have to see the the progress, see what he does with Burrow here. Um, they have a, a week one game against the Chargers. And then they go at the Browns, at the Eagles. So you, you, you want to make sure that come that Jaguars game, the Jags game at home, that's a big game because you don't want to go 0-4. To start, and and they could, and, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to lose all four of those games, but you have a winnable game in your first four, because then after that, you got to go at Baltimore, you got to go at the Colts, you play another game against the Browns, you can play another game against the Titans before you get your bye, then you got to travel on the road a couple more times right after the bye. So, to me, 
That week four game is a big game for them For their season, for their team Let's see what they can do when they have a real winnable game at home And maybe they can steal one of those first three games And, and all of a sudden after four, they could be two and two I mean, I like they're starting the season at home mm-hmm. But that game's a four o'clock start, not a one o'clock start So I mean, the Chargers won't have that Early Early start, over. yeah but, I mean, I still think that's a winnable game. And then they just have a rough stretch because they have the Thursday night game on the short week um, in Cleveland. And Cleveland's always a tough place to play, especially if there's fans. We don't even know if there's going to be fans. If there's not fans, that's not going to be as hard with some of these road games because places that are tough, there's not going to be any noise. So it'll be easier for teams to hear and be able to execute. At Philly's tough and that, J- that Jaguars game is totally winnable. I think they have – Three winnable games before the bye, and if they could go three and five or two and six, going that's a into that win, bye, man. That's a, that's a big win. That's and a I big mean, win. I, I think that Titans game before the bye. I think that. I mean, I personally have that game circled. That's that a winnable game, game for yeah, sure. And Joe Mixon, he was second in the NFL in rushing the second half of the season last year. They moved space on the kid's name, but they moved him to center. And when they moved him to center, he kind of stabilized the line. The guy from the Bills that they had playing tackle last year is going to move inside to guard, and then Jonah Williams is going to be playing left tackle. So that left side is solid. And then you have Boyd playing the slot, who is, I believe, seventh in targets last year. Green on the outside, Higgins on the other side. So they're going to have enough weapons where you're just not going to be able to bum rush Burrow every time. And then Burrow likes to throw to the quarterback. So, I mean, I published my rankings on etoff21sports.com. I have Mixon as four on fantasy, at my fantasy running back for PPR. I think he's in line for a great season. Yeah, Mixon's good. He, he, does lo- he loves the dump off. We saw that a lot at, uh, at, uh, at LSU uh, with Burrow to Mixon. That, that's going to be a very lethal combination. Their offensive line is better. Like, I, I think this is definitely a team I'm going to play in some spots this year. And at first glance, you know, after the bye, they have a game on the road. At the Redskins, sure, but that's winnable. They got the Giants at home. They got the a game at the Dolphins, and that could be Tua versus uh, Burrow if yeah, he was playing by then. We've got some real winnable games for them. I I played the over five and a half. I w- I'm the, I'm going to do the same thing. I, I like that as we move on from the Bengals to the Browns. Their over under is eight and a half, and they kick off with a, a tough game right off the bat. On the road against the Ravens in a game where I'll probably play the Browns. What's is that up at like eight eight ish nine right now? Is that that what it is for the I week think, one line? I think it was at six when I looked at it earlier. Okay, okay, I got. I'll look again uh, when we see. And if that game was over, gets a, like over a touchdown. That's definitely something that I'll, I'll give a look to. Um, then then they have a couple winnable games. You know, they got the Bengals and the Redskins at home. So for some reason, they can win that first game. They could very easily be 3-0 and before they have tough games with the Cowboys, Colts, and Steelers. But this is another one of those teams where they have, like, the, the little stretches in the pockets, right? Week 2 and 3 are big for them. Those are games they have to win because then they're going to have a couple really tough games coming up at the, Col- uh, the Cowboys, Colts, and then at the Steelers. Then they have games in Week 7 and 8 with the, the Bang- at the Bengals and the Raiders. Those are games that they got to win. Um, you know, before the bye, because so before the bye, they have at least like four very, very winnable games with you know three or four others that if they could steal one of them, they're already up to five wins. They come back from the bye, and it's the same type of thing. Two games at home, Texans and Eagles, teams that you could beat. They have to travel and play a bad Jaguars team. They should be able to win that game. And you know, they get the Ravens at home. They have to go to the Giants and the Jets. Those are winnable games. Like you see, nine or ten games that they should be able to win this year. They just got to make sure they don't, you know, 
lose those they don't lose to any of the bad teams. If they do, this is a playoff team. Yeah, and I mean, I looked it's at 9 right now. They they're getting 9 at um okay. Baltimore. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean that's kind of the start to the season. Like how are they going to look? Is Baker going to be able to manage the team and not turn over the ball and Stefanski going to be able to manage the room? Um they get the Bengals in a perfect spot with the uh, short week them coming on the Thursday. The Redskins at the Cowboys, and then that's a tough little stretch from the Cowboys, Colts at and at Pitt. That yep. that three game stretch is pretty tough, and then at Cincy, the bye comes at a perfect time in Week Nine. That's right in mid mid season. And the important thing is, is they have a home game Week Eight, and then their next time they have to travel isn't until Week Twelve. So they're going to have all that time oh. in 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 all uh, of November, Cleveland. Yeah, Basically the whole month of November. Yeah. So I mean that's huge, and then. I know that week 13, when they go to Tennessee, because they have the Ravens on Monday Night Football, I'm going to be betting Tennessee on week 13. I have that yeah, be, circled be a on my board. Game for sure. Um, and then they have back-to-back games in New York. So, I mean, that's not really hard. They have no West Coast trip. I mean, this is a pretty good schedule. The only yep. thing that's preventing me from, like, locking them in at plus 8.5 is oh, – sorry, over 8.5 wins is Baker Mayfield and Ken Kefanski, like, control the room that's the big that's my big question mark with them because i think they've improved their offensive line um also they play at the giants on week 15 that's the uh, semifinals for fantasy football you're telling me obj is not going to go off in that game that's a revenge it's one of those like revenge games that people have circled to and then what's fun with them is that october 18th game you know we're going to see them uh with miles garrett back against Mm -hmm. the steelers too so, you know, they're going to be that that's going to be a really interesting game where the Steelers are going to be super pumped where they go on the road there. So you know, they're going to just be a fun team to keep an eye on again, a uh, fun team to watch. I think they're going to go, you know, I think this is a nine or ten win team uh, this I year. I can easily see them do it, but I just have, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to trust Baker, and we don't know again with Stefanski because we just haven't seen him do it yet as a head coach. It's a lot different doing it as a head coach. It's a lot different doing it in Cleveland with the personalities that he's going to have to manage in that locker room, trying to spread the ball and, get, and distribute it evenly to everyone. And Baker, plain and simple, he's just got to be better than he was last year. Like, he's just like, got to play better. And the one, the thing I've noticed is if a quarterback doesn't take that step forward and regresses in year two, it usually doesn't happen. And Baker took a huge step backwards last year. Yep. And so we'll give him, um, he was good in year one, and and we can still see the flashes, so we're giving him a mulligan, but this this is put up or shut up time. Like, you don't, yeah. get, an, you don't get another year. Even when it's a new coordinator coming in, like, you have all the pieces in place here. You, you're not going to get the, another opportunity um, for for like for everyone to kind of give you the benefit of the doubt here, you've got to be better. This you've got to win some games on your own. There got to yeah. be a couple games where we went. Man, Baker made a great play there. He used his legs. He extended the play. He made a great throw. He uh, you know he he called an all whatever it was. Like we didn't see any of that last year. Like, any of that at we all. We need to see him with fifty two seconds left, ball on the own, on his own forty two Monday night at home, and being able to leave. The Browns down for a field goal to win the game against the Ravens. That's what I need to see from him. I need to see yep. him in that situation this year, and then yep. I'll then I'll be a believer. Yep. We get to the Cowboys, whose offseason looked very good. Their draft looked looked really good. What they were able to put together, they make a coaching change, and they are one of those teams where 
man, you look at their first four games. You talk about games and teams that can go either way in those first four, because after those first four, they get a, a pretty nice stretch of three games where they get the Giants at home, the Cardinals at home, and the Redskins at home. But they got to play um, on the road at the Rams, you know, week one. Then they play at home against the Falcons, where we just don't know with the Falcons ever, a team that can score. Then they go at Seattle, and then they come home for the Browns. They could be four and zero. They could be, you know, one and three. Uh, that that's a huge stretch for them because through seven, you know, th- those four, five, those those weeks, five, six, seven are not going to be the most difficult. So that's going to be a big start for them uh, to the season. Those weeks one through four. I mean, I'm just looking. I basically just looked at the first three because at LA where they're opening up the new stadium, and L- and LA is actually Rams are actually getting two and a half in that game right now. And then home for the Falcons, and then at Seattle. That's a lot of, I mean, Sunday night in L.A., home for the Falcons, and at Seattle. That's a lot of that travel I talked about earlier. And that's basically going to make or break their season in my eyes. If they're 0-3 going into Cleveland, I mean, season's over. I mean, it season's yeah. over in my eyes. And yeah. then they have the Giants and Cardinals at Redskins, at Eagles, Steelers. I mean, there's besides that Giants game before the bye, that's kind of a tough schedule because you know the cards are going to be pumped up for that Monday night game because yep. Kingsbury and Murray are returning back to Texas. And then right after the bye, they go to Minnesota. And then I have that Week 12 matchup circled for again when they play the Redskins at home because they that's sandwiched in between the Vikings and Ravens. If and I get three, the and that's their, their only yeah. in a four-game stretch of three games on the road. And that's the yeah. only one at home. So they're going road, come home. Oh, okay, this looks like such an easy game on paper. We're playing Washington here, you know. And then we got to go to play Baltimore. So you're right. That's a game where you're definitely going to look at Washington and try to uh, and maybe take the dog there. Um, and then, and, and then they got the 49ers and Eagles. Yeah. And then week 14, I mean, they're at Cincinnati. And I love home dogs. And by the time it's that part of the season, it's so late. Burrow's going to have a better idea of the game. A season underneath his belt. Him. Yeah. It's, he's going to have more control. So I definitely have that circled. And, I mean, everyone, I don't know, like, with the Cowboys, with them, there's two ways you can look at it. Is, A, are the do the pieces fit? Because right now I feel like they're putting a puzzle together, and they have three square pieces, and they need one triangle piece with the wide receiver core. Because who's going to play the slot between Cooper, Gallup, and Lamb? I mean, I have no idea who they're going to throw in the slot. My guess would be Cooper, but I don't know if they're going to do that. It's a ton of talent, but we don't know if it's the right pieces to the puzzle. And then their O-line, like, they lost Frederick. And, like, when I was looking at their O-line, they they were banged up last year. Zeke has kind of lost a step. The more I look into the Cowboys, the more I'm just not being a believer in them. Their O-line is nine and a half. That seems high to me. And they're minus one twenty three. They're the favorite to win the the East. I'm total play against them as far yeah. as winning the division, and I'm an under on them too. I just the, the team. The thing about this team too, one of those things with Dallas is like they're always going to be under. Um, they're always going to be undervalued. Always, uh-huh. they're going to be a team that that they're, they're going to be so. Um, I guess overvalued. I said that wrong, but they're going to be. You're never going to get the value on Dallas when you play them ever. Even if it's a, it's a full season, if it's a game by game, they're always going to be you know uh, a, another point. More than they should They're going to be favored an extra point They're going to be you know, dogs by less than a little bit more than they should Because of the name Because of who, of who we think they are For me, this is an under 9.5 with the tough schedule I mean, I could easily see them going 6-10 and 10. Yep. I mean, just with how that season starts out 
And you don't know, new coach, new locker room. You don't know how that fits. We'll, I mean, we, you just we don't know. And how um, much is, he, is McCarthy really doing? Like when you're away yeah. from the sport, you're not learning. Like how much do you learn when he was gone? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm not. We're we're both similar. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They Candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. Uh, I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles, and the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can and enjoy use that promo code GINO my favorite is fresh roses the fresh roses scent is awesome if you're a horse racing fan they got del mar in there you ever want to know what del mar smells like but you couldn't make it out there order your candle right now from sarah candle company the website c e r a candles.com sarah candles.com promo code GINO for 10% off your purchase so big thanks to Eric. We will pick up next week um, with uh, Denver and moving on through the the rest of the league with their schedules. Right now, we shift our focus on over to horse racing. Let's get you to Santa Anita for Friday. Jump into Santa Anita. We're going to go to Friday, May the 15th. It is opening day at Santa Anita. And let's kick things off with that early pick five in race number one. I like the six a lot. She's so special. You just got to key off the sprint races, right? Just toss the races going long, and you're left with a couple of really good efforts sprinting. I think, to, to me, she's the one to beat in here. Uh, a couple others to use in the early pick five sequence. Uh, the four, Party Town. First time gelding, maybe like really, really fast and able to gun it in here and, and just sit close. And she's actually shown the ability to sit off the pace, sprinting on the turf too in that October win going five furlongs at Del Mar the three rager another first time gelding who fits pretty well in here I think kind of a measuring stick for this field a couple others to keep an eye on drop the chalupa done nothing wrong now gonna have to try the uh, the grass and, and winners and, and then the uh, the 12 thanks Mr. Edison good speed from the outside but for me I have the six as the the horse to, to beat and the horse to play if we can get anything around seven to two. I have three, four, six as the top tier, and then if you want to go a little deeper, I would use the five and the twelve. Let's get into race number two. And um I think the two curvaceous, a little sneaky here. This is a barn, the Kitchingman barn, who always does bet has always done well with horses first time out of the box. So um give the two curvaceous uh, a look. The four with the blinkers on, dropping in class, to me looks like the one to beat. That's Miss Riley. So I would use those two in all of your exotics. You want to go a little bit deeper. Um, it would probably be the three, Flying Business, who proved that he. this is probably where she fits when she dropped in for the maiden claiming uh, uh, last time out. She's going to need to improve a little bit, though. And then of the first-time starters, maybe the five Talia for uh, a barn that's that's decent first time out, and I don't know if she'd have to be any a monster to beat you know the, the majority of this group. So two, four, five, three. They're in race number two at Santa Anita. The third race, we are going to see the return to the races of a couple of uh, nice horses that were very highly regarded at one point. Talking about. Galilean, the three, and then about the nine, Tale of the Union. So, Tale of the Union has not raced since August of 2018 when he won super impressively for Bob Baffert 
and he wanted Del Mar, but we haven't seen him since August of 2018. Baffert can definitely get him ready, but that's a long time to have to, to come off the bench. The three Galilean, this was a horse who was super, super highly regarded after um, he was dominating the Calbred ranks to begin his career. He went over and was in the Rebel, and he was only 7-2 when he ran third in the Rebel, and then he was in the Arkansas Derby. He's got some talent. I he he's got a little more recency to him than Tale of the Union, also. So I mean, those two are hard to exclude because they're both super talented. You just don't know what version of them are going to show up. I do think a horse to include with them in some of the exotics is the four, knee deep in snow. So um, he tried the synthetic in his last couple starts, and and I think you can excuse his last one in the two starts back race on December uh, the sixth. At Turfway was not bad at all. It's the May 4th race that I love at Churchill. Going six furlongs. Sitting off the pace a little bit. That's the kind of trip that he can work out in here. Sitting behind uh, you know, the likely fresh, fast tail of the Union from the outside. And probably Galilean flashing some speed too. Make sure to include knee deep in snow in some of your exotics. Let's go four, nine, three, six. The... the Oil Can Knight, this is the five-time winner here. Facing a, a bunch of horses with just, you know, a, a few victories. A, a lot of times you have a horse like that who just knows how to win, and he can get the better of a group like this too, and should offer you some value. Four nine three six. In uh, race number four, just make sure to throw the, the I think, Kirsch Truffle is the one to beat. Cutting back. And the the three on the drop in class, I think Christmas Pickles has a little more ability um, than what he was able to show first, and then she was able to show first time out back in August at Del Mar. Give her a look in here on the drop in class. So I'll use the three and the six in uh, the pick five in uh, in race number four, and then we get to race number five, and I'll nothing really outside the box in here. The four Arctic Roll coming off that good runner up effort. I think she'll show up with a really nice performance. And then Pretty Point, who had a slow start. She was last. She was uh, making an early wide move, three deep. And it was a small field. So, you know, the the wide move and, and having to be a little grindy in a small field instead of being able to sit back and launch and make one late run. And then the 11, Gypsy Spirit. I mean, you have Pratt, who ends up here instead of on the four or the seven. This is a horse who's obviously... You know, face better and coming out of some better races, but not necessarily a win machine by any means. Four eleven seven is how I pegged uh, race number five. So I'll play in an early pick five, something like this: uh, three four six with two three four five with three four six nine with three six with four seven eleven. Um, maybe another ticket where it's uh, three four five six twelve with two four with four nine with three six with four seven eleven. As we move on to race number six, that's the start of your late pick four sequence. Uh, the nine's obvious in here and, and going to be pretty tough. That's Aiden's dream. I think the eight, oh marvelous me, who's getting back to the dirt where he's just better on the dirt than he is on on the synthetic or on the grass. I think there's going to be a really good spot for him too. So I'll just use those two, eight and nine, in race number six to start the late pick four. We're just going to buy race number seven and go all in that one. 
And uh, and we moved to race number eight. I thought fashion royalty is a little bit interesting. Second time in the U.S. now. This one is able to get to the grass. I'm expecting her to take a little step forward. That was just a really small field, and that's just race shape that's not to her liking. This is going to be a much different ball game. Expect her to show up a little bit. And Brees Blanc has always been a super underrated rider and a really good rider on the turf going long. The one quick, obvious top contender, probably the one they're all going to have to hold off in here. The couple horses towards the outside uh, Mushley, who's going to be going second time US And uh, Dupioni I mean, they're going to also be really tough in here So I think those would be the four that I include In the late pick four And it's all going to come down to a single for me In race number nine And I'm going to single Lane Way Who adds the blinkers And Lane Way adds those blinkers and is going to be cutting back to five and a half furlongs from a mile. So it should be a little closer. And now you're going to have a little bit more punch. Look at the three monsters this guy ran behind. He was behind Nadal in the career debut. In the second start, he was behind Charlatan and Shooter Shoot. And then he had to deal with Shooter Shoot again. All of those horses that beat him came back to win in their next start. Pratt shows up here. The blinkers come on on the cutback. I think Lane Way. Is the class of the field Has faced better And isn't going to be in a good spot Drawn to the outside Where they have some options for a horse Who could be like really close And right up on it with the blinks on So the late pick four In race number six It's going to be 8-9 With all With 1-3-9-10 With 11 single Some of the horses throughout the card To take a look at First race the six She's so special Third race the four Knee deep in snow Fourth race, the three, Christmas Pickles. Eighth race, the three, Fashion Royalty. And the ninth race, the number 11, Lane Way. Make sure to use those horses in your exotics. That is Friday, Santa Anita. We're going to go to Saturday, Churchill Downs. And we're going to bring in Darren Zocali. We're going to go through the entire Churchill Downs card. We break every race down. We give some of our thoughts on each of them. And then following that, I'll just do a real quick recap of my picks at Churchill. So enjoy. We spend about yeah 40 minutes or so going through the full Churchill Downs Saturday card, May the 16th. Some of these big racetracks are back, folks, this weekend. May the 15th. May the 16th, we're going to have Santa Anita back racing We're going to have Churchill Downs back racing Golden Gate is already back underway And joining me to discuss The Churchill Downs card on Saturday Which is an awesome, awesome card From top to bottom We have good racing, we're going to see the return of one of the big stars uh, Of racing from a few years ago And uh, this is a man who I think people are going to be like What, Darren's talking horse racing with you? All we know, this guy talks wrestling with you But uh, actually, we have a, a a much longer horse racing background where we used to discuss harness and thoroughbreds and everything. And you're uh, one of the handicappers that I always love to follow. Seems like when we when I I see you put your tweets out a lot of the times, we we look at I think a lot of similar things as far as our handicapping is concerned. It's like a, a lot of times we land on on similar horses or similar approaches in races. So thanks for uh, for joining me uh, again, buddy. It's not like we just talked for two hours about wrestling. We're gonna ha- talk a little more about racing. <laughs> some of my some of my favorite memories at the Meadowlands are those Friday and Saturday nights where you and I did the late night stuff on TVG. We had a good a time blast. with that. I mean, it's hard to believe that that's nine, ten years ago we started that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, wrestling's cool, but I, I'm always thrilled to talk racing with you as well. 
So we're going to jump into Churchill Saturday opens things up at Churchill Downs And as uh, you would imagine With um, a lot of horses over the last couple months Not having anywhere to run This is a really, really good card In particular, the back half of the card You get some strong allowance races And um, you're going to get some some really big stakes races Coming up over the next couple weekends at Churchill and at Santa Anita And now with these meets kind of being smaller It's all going to be compacted So we're going to get some really big days um, Especially like this Saturday one coming up So Darren, we'll just start with race one And we'll go through We can just kind of mention thoughts on each race If if we don't have a ton, we'll we'll just say that and, and skip it And and I'm the way that I'm approaching the early part of this sequence is So we know that in race number four We're going to get to We're going to have the return of Monomoy Girl in there And um and I like a horse in the fifth race a little bit Who I think probably is going to get bet down And that's the two Mr. Jaggers So I'm looking at this pick five at Churchill Downs And I'm going to play a ticket Where I think I might single single The back end And I might even go single 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 And play like a small ticket And what I'm doing in this first race I'm freaking punching all I'm going to try to buy this race, get through it Hope it's not one of the shorter prices towards the outside Not an opinion, this is more about how I'm going to build the ticket in the sequence Versus really even loving or hating anyone in this race This is the race where I need to demand a little bit of value So I'll spread out a little bit But do you have any kind of real strong opinions to kick things off in the opener? Yeah, it's hard to have a real strong opinion here I mean, the two short prices on the outside are probably the most likely winners But, you know, out of the two, I would prefer archability I'm just not big on Oh, for eight maidens that are going to be, you know, nine to five at post time. Mm-hmm. You know, the the only two horses that I'll give you that that you know I would definitely include. I mean, you're punching all, but if you if you don't have the kind of budget and you need to, you know, only be four or five deep here, you know, Skyburst, the the, the first time starter for Ron Moquette doesn't have to be a whole lot to be, you know, a contender here. Uh, it's not the an overwhelming pedigree to say the least, but the workouts are are you know decent enough as it is. And it is Ron Moquette in, in a very questionable field. Uh, only six to one on the morning line. Wouldn't be surprised if, if that horse is okay in here. And the other horse that piqued my interest as a first-time starter is the nine Take Charge Comanche. Um, you know, you don't really look at the Ray Hernandez barn as, as a barn that jumps off the page, but the horse has got some sneaky pedigrees. He's a half to canonize, who's a stakes winner, and is a half to Declan's warrior, who could run quite a bit early in his career. I mean, this horse obviously is entered for 30,000 first time out but has a sneaky good workout to work back 15 to 1 in the morning line i would just suggest including him but yeah this is a very difficult way to start the card it, it's a very tricky race we'll have a much more of a strong opinion as we move on to uh, to race number 2 and this is a $25,000 claimer I think the three is going to get a great trip in here Stroll in the Bayou um, I really like the race uh, back at Hawthorne When Stroll in the Bayou came from You know off the pace a little bit And I just think this is going to be a horse That's going to fall into a very very nice trip uh, The four seeds of time I guess would be Another one to include and then the nine Rawway who you know You can find some really nice horses From this mare and I think you can make the case that maybe she just doesn't like Oaklawn. You know, she she just did not run well in her starts at Oaklawn, and a couple of those races were obviously you know tougher. She has the she's in the race where Serengeti Empress actually at, like absolutely freaks, but she, she could fit in here too. Um, I think I'll probably end up using those three in the early pick five to try to get through this race. Maybe three, four, and nine for me. Yeah, the the, the nine Rawway was the interesting one for me. It's actually a sneaky good pedigree. Her dam actually won the Azari. At Oakland when it was a grade three a few years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, if you take a look back at her form before Oakland, 
I mean, any of those races put her right there. Yep. I mean, that you know, those those races put her right in the mix. Um, there's definitely speed from the inside, Lady Cleopatra and Diamond Cat. I definitely think you're on the right horse in terms of who's going to get the best trip. I think strolling the Bayou is going to sit third, fourth inside, work out a great inside-out trip, and and really could be sitting on a big race here as well. Um, you know, a seas of time, morning line favorite for Tom Amos. I'm just not big of you know when yeah. horses want to go Delta, and then their first start after Delta, they get their teeth kicked in. I'm just not big on horses like that, even when they drop in class. Uh, you know, I don't know how you feel about her, but but she's probably a horse that I would that I would take a stand against in here at a short you know, price. I definitely yeah. definitely three in the nine is my top two. And I would I don't need her, especially the way that this ticket's going to be built. You know, like I'm going to have some short prices coming up um, li- a little later on. So yeah, for me, I, I think the three gets the trip. The nine is also very interesting. Um, I, I'm not like as low on the four as you, but I don't need her at all. And from a price standpoint, I would much prefer the other two here to try to get through that second leg of the uh, the early pick five sequence. And we move into the third race, which is a ten thousand non two claimer, and we have a horse like. Louis Kingdom, who was a big favorite, and I believe that Rainbow Pick Six, um, uh, yeah, at uh, at Gulfstream Park, and just stopped. Uh, that was not long ago. That was just on May the ninth. I mean, I don't think this horse is a cinch by any means, or a horse who has to win. I kind of start this race for me at least with the four. He's the super one. You know, he kind of got hooked a little bit wide last time out in a small field. He settled. He loomed up in between at the top of the lane. He he took the lead, but then he, he tires. I'm talking about the the dirt race two starts back, not the the race going long on the grass on on March uh, the uh, the 19th. Talking about the, the March 8th race at Fairgrounds. That that kind of effort is very competitive with this group. And you know, if he just gets at like a better timed ride, I think he might be in a good spot sitting off a couple speeds to his inside. Um, I give other looks in here because I'm going to try to beat Louis Kingdom. Um, I, I think I think I'm just going to go against Louis Kingdom in here. I give a look to he's the super one, the super one, uh, Big Island as a little bit of a price. Tom's last general, and maybe even Wallet with a little bit of speed that can sit just a tad bit. So this will be kind of a trying to play against Louis in here for me. Yeah, I mean, th- there's no way I could bet this horse off his last race, and I know you people are probably looking at it going, "Oh, why he ran? He ran second as a four to five favorite." It I was mean, a soft that, field. That was a terrible field. Terrible. The horse that beat him was also a drop down, but his lines were awful. You know, he was getting just beat up against better. Now he, I mean, he's coming back seven days later, shipping to Gulfstream, and now he's in for ten when they claimed this horse for thirty-two starts back. Yeah. I just don't want any. Part and they, of that. And, and another thing, they claim him from Navarro, yeah, which is another big red flag with with what we know about Navarro and all of how his horses were all we we know from his own words they were all getting some sort of drug extra drug. So we don't know when these horses come into new barns how they're going to react with like new. So for me, like I, I'm fine playing against one like Louis Kingdom and, and some of the multi exotics. Yeah, and and the bigger and taking that knock even further. So Ravelli had this horse for his first six starts of his career. They lost him for 35. They wanted him back. They claim him back for 30. And now they send him out for 16, and now he's in there for 10. So something's not right. You know, it's like, come and get this horse, please. I think they're just trying to beg you to come and get him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, I think, look, I mean, definitely take a stab against the, the three. The four, he's the super one. Do I mean, do I like horses that are one for 14? No. But – you know, any of his last two, you know, the maiden win, you know, definitely put him right there. 
I think the whole, a couple of horses on the outside, you know, you could give a look to. Obviously, Tom's last general. Jimmy at last is interesting for me, shipping from Oakland. Last race was a little bit better. You know, it was kind of mixing it up early. James DeVito could be sneaky. The horse ships in. He's got a nice workout on May the 10th in a minute and three breezing. It was a bullet best of 14. You know, as long as he doesn't get hung too wide into the turn, you know, again, coming back at 10,000 where he improved last time, I think he's a price option that you could definitely build some exotics around in what is a, a very difficult field. But, again, definitely taking a stand against uh, Louis Kingdom. And also make note if any also eligibles get in, especially, you know, the 15 Botero, who's a drop down for Brett Cox. Yep, you mentioned it. I think I think I'm in my pick four, uh, pick five in this race. I'm going to be four, eight, nine, eleven, twelve. This will probably be a spread, spread against Louis Kingdom and that Jimmy's Jimmy at last race. Like that Churchill race is is really solid. It it, it it's very good. Um, back in November when he's like a good closing third and he's kind of like in between a little bit there. It's not a bad effort at all in a big field. So yeah, for me, I kind of have him ranked that way as like four, eight, nine, eleven, twelve, and we'll take a swing against Louis in this fourth race because you know coming into the four it. Into race number in, in the third race because we go into race number four, and again as like anytime I handicap the races, I'm looking at this you know as a fan and as a gambler, but as a gambler first, how are we going to make money? And in the long run, you're going to make money playing against horses like Monomoy Girl when they you know come for, come off long layoffs and when they make their returns and when they're going to be you know really heavy favorites. I just don't know who in this race is good enough to keep up with her. I, I would love to try to take a shot against you know big horses like this, but I just I mean talk Vuv to if you're gonna mention a couple, it's probably talk Vuv to me or Lady Kate, who are both talented Phillies, but I don't even know if they're really like graded stakes level Phillies, let alone as good as a horse like Monomoy Girl, who definitely may not be what she was, right? This is the 2018 Eclipse Award champ. She has not run since November of 2018. That is a long, long time. But if she comes back with just an like a, a motive, a, a, just a small amount of what she was, this is going to be a very, very easy spot for her. Yeah, and, and the problem with Talk Vuv to me is that she's not going to be a big price. She, she'll be the second choice. Well, neither the, the other two. Like the only ones that feel like they could beat her aren't going to be the kind of price that you would want to take a shot against. You know her. Hundred percent. And, and, and Talk Vuv to me, I mean. She couldn't beat Monomoy Girl when she was in, in career form as a three-year-old. You know, now she's not running nearly as fast as she was two years ago. Uh, she's coming off of a near eight-month layoff herself. Yeah. So it's not like she's fresh. Lady Kate, I mean, she's never run a speed figure close enough to beat Monomoy Girl. The only horse that's really got any that even shows a race that's fast enough is Fashion Faux Pas. Yeah. But it was one race. In, at Delaware. Delaware, yeah, that nothing else comes out. So you're really going to bank on that happening again? Yeah. Look, I agree with you. Um, the the value's not there on the other ones to warrant betting against her. And I, it, it's look, I, I've made a career in picking horses and trying to beat horses like this, especially with a year and a half layoff. But I mean, she, she's ten lengths better than this field. I mean, so how yeah. am I supposed to give you any kind of confidence? That anybody in this yeah, she's not even like a one-dimensional speed type either. You know, she oh. can sit off a little bit if somebody wants to go out, and so it's just yeah. I'm just not going to try to beat her. I'm not going to try to get, get cute. I'll just single her, and we move from the fourth race to the fifth race. And I'm going to end in, in, in this early pick five approach, and I'm going to single the two in here. 
Mr. Jaggers to end to end this thing. Um, I I'm I'm really a fan of the first two starts. So I, I'm I'm completely willing to excuse the last start. Right, first start as a three year old, they took a shot on the dirt, um, didn't like it. That's fine. And now you're getting back to the grass. So you get that debut where you're a little bit slow. You're settling sixth. You're two deep. Then you're three deep. You make a big five wide move to the top of the lane. You're in between horses, and that's a fine third behind. Grade 3 winner Field Pass And Grade 1 winner Decorated Invader Comes back on August the 31st Little trouble at the start Settles fourth Couple, you know, two deep um, Couple lengths off And ends up running fourth that day But the horses who were first, second, and third Were basically one, two, and three All the way around the racetrack And Mr. Jaggers loses a photo for third I think it's a great spot for him Um, There, you know, there's uh, there's horses to use in here for sure um, Towards the outside there are a couple Very very logical contenders But it, this is more about how you know, like I wouldn't talk you off Using you know I think any of the, the Outside horses at all in here um, You can make case for Oxide A case for Handy Enchanted Empire's got some upside Plenty to go plenty of ways to go But just from a pure how I'm going to play this pick 5 standpoint I can now look at it and I can go all With you know, 3, 4, 9 With 4, 8, 9, 11, 12 Single, single and I'm looking at a ticket that's not a whole heck of a lot. Um, I can even play a smaller ticket where I go all with three, four, nine, with single the four, single the two, single the two, and take some small shots at it. And maybe I can get a little value out of Monomoy Girl in this early pick five. Like that's kind of my approach to the early part of the card at Churchill. Yeah, I, I like Mr. Jaggers quite a bit. I mean, I, for all the reasons that you said, I don't have to rehash them. Second race back up the layoff, dirt back the turf, which is obviously where Mott wants to put the horse. Um, you know, like the bullet workout on April the 26th, then the blowout after that, another blowout. I, I mean, certainly fits. Um, you know, implication scares me because I think this might be a nice horse, you know. Um, if you go back and watch that Tampa race, uh, Centeno just moved way too. Like, it was just a confident, mm-hmm. way too early move. The horse is a half to a grade two winner on turf. He's four years old running against almost a full field of three-year-olds. Um, you know, which in the middle of May probably still counts for something. Um, and Grand Motion with this type of horse, he, th- this guy might be a runner. Uh, you know, it's no no price. It's three to one in the morning line. He might go up shorter than that. But uh, I got a feeling that this might be a horse, and, and he would scare me uh, just away from, from singling the two. But honestly, I wouldn't use any more than that. I would just be 211 in here because I think one of the two of them, I'm, I'm fairly confident one of them are going to win this race. Yeah, I'll flop him in on a, a few of my tickets as well uh, Implication there As we move on to race number six it, Honestly, in my like betting um, I'm, I'm just going to completely skip this race I really yeah. am um, yeah. Because it's just like the in-between race You know, I'm going to play the early pick five And I'll see how that last is going for me And then I'll come back and play the late pick five But I'm not going to play the pick six This isn't like the strongest group in the world I don't know if you have a strong opinion But like for me, I'm, I'm skipping this race come, come Saturday yeah, I, I mean, the favorite looks good on the drop, and then, like, you're starting to look for, like, alternatives, and you get to a horse, and you're like, oh, all right, this horse, and then you look, and the trainer's over 44. And then you get to the next horse, and you're like, oh, I can see that. And the trainer's one for 41. I mean, it's it's tough to land on anything here. You got horses that are coming in off of, you know, dropping down out of synthetic races. Um, no, I honestly, I am right there with you. I have absolutely no strong opinion. I think Irritator is clearly – uh, the horse to beat, but I would not bet him at any kind of a short price. So we get to the seventh race, which is a good maiden special weight for Phillies and Mares three year olds and up. They're going to be sprinting six furlongs, and this is a start of the late pick five. So I think you got to start with 
Same Wah, who was very impressive in her debut for Bill Mott. She kind of looked like she took a few strides to get going, but she was traveling really well. Uh, she was moving up on the outside. She made a big three wide mid, three wide bid, but she was just no match for the three to five favorite center aisle, who's a one point five million dollar purchase. And this race has come back really strong so far. There have been two next out winners out of that race. They both come back to win maiden special weights. The sixth place finisher, Senior Roma, came back to win by eleven, and the ninth place finisher came back to win uh, by four. Those were both at Gulfstream. This is the barn that's much better second out. So I'm not like I'm not against say moi in here. I do think there are a couple other fun horses that have a little bit of upside to include, and um and you know our our boy Zero. Uh, He's on a horse that's got some good speed to the outside And a horse that kind of fits the profile That that he's good with horses on the lead That's Stonewood The three horses to the outside You know, they don't, they're not in like Quote unquote speed figure range with Samois But they're you know, lightly raced with plenty of upside Offering Bernadette the Jet had legit trouble Stonewood, you can make cases for them I mean, Skinny Dip um, He got a little bit of action He's got some figures that aren't far off from Samois This is this is a fun race. I, I mean, Saints Nation, you can make a little case for too. Um, so, are you more on the same wall towers over this field, or are you spreading out a little bit? What's your approach in the seventh? Uh, I, I mean, my viewpoint is that if she runs back to that race, she's going to win. Um, you know, center aisle could be anything at this point. Mott, second time starter. I mean, if she moves forward, you know, she's going to be a handful. But there are some, there are some interesting horses in here. Um, Bernadette the Jet is a half to social inclusion yep. by American Pharaoh. Um, off the layoff, but Grand Motion has one with this type. He's not bad off this kind of a layoff. I know the speed figures don't look too inviting, but Laurel sometimes can be a little bit quirky with the speed figures on yep. the buyer's So don't don't let that throw you. The post, yeah, you know, I, I actually like the outside post when you're talking about, you know, over here at church. I would rather the race be seven furlongs than six. But uh, Bernadette, the, the jet is interesting to me. Now, you have another American pharaoh in here in the nine rocks that I got for a trainer that is clicking at 24% as a 335 ROI with first-time starters. Now, my pause is this is an American pharaoh that costs $25,000 um, as a two-year-old in training. So obviously something's not great there. But the workouts, especially if you look, you know, three workouts, four workouts back, they're not bad. And this is a half to a $500,000 stakes winner by the name of Sharp Sensation, who was a really good turf sprinter. So this horse had a 15-to-1 morning line. A little sneaky, yeah. A little sneaky. You know, not saying that the horse is going to win, but if you like Samoa and you're looking for prices in exotics, that's what I'll give you. The other one I'll give you is the three Majestic Blend, who's coming in from Santa Anita. I know the horse ran last in the field of four. But blinkers are coming off now, so an interesting move, second lifetime start for a barn that can be a little bit sneaky. The winner of that race, uh, Gamine, is a Bob Baffert filly that aired on that day at 1-9 to nine and then came back to win at, at Oaklawn uh, just uh, on May 2nd with a 98 buyer speed figure. Against another really nice filly in that race, yeah. too. She beat another yeah. really nice one, yeah. So, again, I mean, she was beat 16 lanes, so take that for what it's worth. But she's coming out of a race that the winner is a serious, serious racehorse. Um, horses typically improve in their second lifetime start. They're making an equipment change. They're getting out of California, going to Churchill. I could see Majestic Blend hitting the board at 15-1 to 1 here. So, for me, 
Yes, Samoa is going to be very tough. In the exotics, though, definitely I would be including the three, the nine, and the 11 and try to spice things up a little bit. Yeah, I wanted to mention, too, um, I thought Offering, who kind of squeezed back at the start a little bit, was last, was 10 off, moved up in the inside. It was kind of like a nice middle move to get into contention and then didn't have a whole lot late, but... Maybe with just a better start I don't think she has to necessarily be so far back um, a, a second time starter with a little bit of upside there But they will all definitely have to beat Say moi here Who uh, is the deserving favorite In this seventh race We move to race number eight This is a first level allowance race uh, On the turf And yeah I mean g- Good good betting race here I think Because you can go in different directions I think with Mike Maker taking over a horse going long on the grass, I'm always going to take note. He does an excellent job with horses like that, so I I'm, uh, immediately give a look to Lebec. Um, I think the the horse Tankerville for Mott was is a little bit intriguing. She, you know, I watched the the race over in Ireland on uh, August the 29th, and she was last of four. She was chasing. It was uh, he was chasing. It just wasn't the race shape that he needed But this is a horse who actually beat a field of 16 In his debut, like he's got some quality He's got some ability in there too Um, The 12, clear for action Is really quick, he's one of those Horses that if you don't use him on your ticket He might give you a little scare, because he could be The speed of the speed, and if he's sent hard From the outside and is able to clear He could be tough to run down late Those are probably, I think the horses That I start with at least, who are some of the Other ones that you're looking to yeah, you, well, you mentioned the horse that I that I would will be keying around, and that's the four Tankerville. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said about the uh, the Euro side, and, and on the pedigree stuff, uh, Starformer was a horse. Starformer, uh, this this Colts Dam was a triple, well, three time graded stakes winner in the United States, including the Grade Two New York, uh, which is a big turf race over at Belmont. Um, so yeah, I mean this. You know, four-year-old by Kittens Joy has every reason to be, you know, okay in this spot because, you know, while there's some horses here that that have some talent and some upside, I don't think there's any world beaters. No, nope. uh, they look you know, a, I, a lot of them look the same on paper, yes, right? There's like four exactly. or five horses that you look at a paper, you're like, oh, they kind of look like oh, he kind of looks like the horse next to him. Oh, he kind of looks like this is this is a great spot for a fresh face like this. Which is exactly why I'm probably drawn to this horse. I, I that that's that that's the part of it that seems to strike me. Uh, a horse like Heller High Water, I would probably like if not for the layoff. Um, you know, horses especially on, on grass that are knocking on the door and finally figure it all out and improve speed figures and put it all together with a win. I've seen them reel off two or three in a row off mm-hmm. that, but I don't love the idea of doing that off of the nine month layoff because it kind of you know, takes the air out of your sails if you're trying to make that argument. So, um, you know, Limnery for me is a horse, another one. One for nine lifetime, knocking on the door, a horse that for Brad Cox that I would be more inclined uh, to use underneath rather than, you know, in the top spot. Now, the other horse for me that's interesting is uh, the Baby J um, uh, mare on the outside from post nine. Chad Brown's got this horse off of a layoff. And you know, never been on turf before. And Baby J, the, the mayor, was not a turf horse either. And you got Union Rags. So is the horses coming in off of, you know, second race back off the layoff, did not run well at Gulfstream. So you got two ways of looking at it. The horse cost $650,000. Is Chad Brown saying, okay, this horse is either terrible and I am just putting this horse on the grass 
to try to see if he can run anything? Or do they think the horse might actually like the turf for whatever reason? Um, you know, and, and for me, you, you're looking at the workout pattern. Has a sneaky turf work back on April 12th. And I would hate for this race to go by and this horse wins. And you look and you're like, wow, nice job. Chad Brown, first time on the grass, just paid $18. Yeah, with Javi up too. And exactly. His dirt races too before the layoff, we weren't bad. And, you know, he's behind a couple nice horses, you know. You see Macoma, Tacitus, Moretti, who's actually even come back and been okay. Um, So from a... From a class standpoint, he really fits. It's going to yeah. just be, will he take to the turf? Um, right. and, and if so, he's going to be a better price than you would figure for a brown hobby horse, right? If he's if he's three to one, I don't want any part of him. But if he's eight to one, yep, you, you just can't you can't let Brown Shadwell go into the grass for the first time, you know, beat you at a price. Yep, you know. So so for me, I, I'm going to take some flyers on the four uh, and the nine. Key off them up and down and exactas and tries. I think you got a shot at, at a halfway decent price on both of them. And my feeling is this race, regardless of what the result is, the payout's going to be nice, and hopefully we can connect with one of these two. In race number nine, we get a real strong fifty non-two claimer in here. Um, yeah, I mean you can just you can legitimately build cases for eight, nine of these horses and like build a strong case for them. Um, a couple of the horses that I'm going to at least start with um, The two uh, At Har Who you know you see that he was claimed for a maiden 50 And you think he might be a little bit cheap But he's coming out of a decent race Where he was put up via DQ And Finnick the Fierce came back out of that race To run pretty well And his maiden breaking score on February the 21st At Oaklawn was really good I think he gets the kind of trip That's going to Fit well in this race Seven furlongs feels like a perfect distance For him you know in his last start He was forced no joke Seven wide into the first turn He just loses a ton of ground So he ends up having to settle eighth like six or seven Lengths off of it he's on the outside It's like three deep he tries to angle In order to like the five or six Path and he's going Well late he's not even that Far out of second when uh, when all the running Is done and that's a horse that's kind of going to be one of my like top tier horses. And then the five, you know, you start to dig into this race a little bit, and you figure, you know, big field like this. There's probably, you know, the seven furlong race. There's probably a couple like really, really fast sprinters. There's not a ton of speed on paper, at least for this kind of a race. And Royal Commission, he wired a group in his debut. It was a pretty nice effort He puts them all away and kicks clear after That's a maiden 50 group And then in his second start He hooks no parole Who was super freaky last time out I know this was a horse that you actually liked In in the rebel and like no parole is a legitimately Talented animal so when you're not able To you know to get the leader Show speed in a race that he's showing speed That doesn't bother me at all He's one of the quickest horses out there And he kind of you know royal commission Kind of broke well but he took back a little bit and I think he's he's a little sneaky. Those are two horses that I'll, I'll at least like start with mentioning. Who are some of the the horses you look to in this race? So I, I get tripped up here because um, I, I'm probably not going to like him here. The one patrol uh, I actually put in my virtual stable because I really liked his debut. Um, then he showed up in the on the grass at Gulfstream, which I thought was a really weird spot given the pedigree. Um, didn't run really much of a step after getting bumped early on. And now he goes back to the dirt, which 
I would be happy about. But they put a fifty thousand dollar tag on this horse. I know, and he's and he's a three hundred fifty thousand dollar purchase too. Is this? So that's bad. <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's not that's not a good sign. Um, so in that situation, you know, with him, even though he's a horse that I liked off his first lifetime start, I probably end up playing against here. Um, a horse that I think is interesting, and I don't necessarily know if he can win because he doesn't have very much of a win record, but he's going to be a price that could help your exotics is the nine box of chocolates. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, just an honest horse. This is probably right, right around the level he needs to be at. Just needs pace to run at. Seems to have kind of settled into a, into a more of a rallying style lately. He was really wide last time. It was a bit of an issue in the stretch there. He, he got, got that inside up. shuffle too early on. Yeah. yeah. And and his races look a little bit better than they are. And his speed figures really do fit. Again, I can't, it's hard for me to endorse a horse that's one for 15 on top. But I think he fits in this field. He's going to be 10, 12 to one. And I think he could definitely help out your, your exotics. And, and he's the type of horse that I think you could build some tickets around. The other one that I'll mention that I don't know what to do with is admire. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. He's, he's weird because, you know, the connections obviously, obviously thought a lot of them because they ran him in the withers in his third lifetime start. And he ran. Okay. Earned an 87 buyer speed figure. Decent enough. Ran the Tampa Bay Derby didn't do much of anything. Then they, even though they ran him in back in the bluegrass, he got it. He got buried. Um, Ran him one more time, and by that point, the horse is just thrown in the towel. Then they bring him back, and his races are, you know, eh, okay. The race two back is decent. Uh, he ran against Blewett last time. Already came out of that race to win. That's probably a good race that he's exiting. Eventually, the horse is going to show up with an improved effort. This feels like the level that it could happen at. And the and trip, probably, too, yeah. right? Like, seven might hit him right between the eyes. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just see that this could potentially be a spot where this horse wakes up and he might do it at five, six to one. So, you know, for me, I'll be looking at the nine and the 12 here probably to build some tickets around. Yeah, there, there's so many ways to go in this race that, you know, you're probably you'll probably be spreading out in some of the multi exotics. But when you're lo- when you're watching this race individually and, and if you're playing it like singly, make sure you get a little bit of value because you, you can get you're going to be able to get. An inflated price on at least a couple of horses in here So make sure you get like the value that you want Because we've mentioned, you know Patrol, at R, Royal Commission And Admire as all kind of live price-ish Horses, the 8 box Or the 8 Hirsch, I mean I could see this horse Sneaking into it, he kind of needs the trip But he's capable on his best days Box of chocolates, absolutely And what do you do with a horse like Sacred Oath You know, Diodoro was winning everything at, at Oaklawn And I mean, if this horse improves Just a little bit, it wouldn't be a, a huge shock To see him get into the winner's circle So this is this is just a, a Good Kind of a race for a pick four or pick five sequence Because you're probably going to have to go deep To feel comfortable getting out of this race And you can build cases for many So I had a, I had a blast handicapping this ninth race And uh, and then we lead into the tenth race, Darren Which is going to be where everything is built for me Everything's going to be coming to Portrait, the deuce I've just been waiting for this cutback with Portrait I, I, I liked her, I thought she was Talented enough to be good Maybe going a little bit longer But when you watch her races with her running style And how she just looms up And then just seemingly hits the wall 
at about the seven furlong mile mark. She's done it in, in like both of her last starts. I mean, Jan- January the 18th, she sits three deep. She's on the outside. She's three off. She looms up four wide and looks like she is just going to blow right on by. And then she hangs and she comes back in her last start. On February the 14th And she's right up on the lead going into the turn She's three deep, she's pressing just off She moves up and takes the lead without being asked Opens up two again You think, oh this is going to be an easy win And she ends up getting nailed late I just think this cutback is going to hit her perfectly She's run well before at Churchill Um, I like Portrait a lot in here I'm going to try to key her in in some of the late exotics I'll probably be singling her here Yeah, I, uh, I think she's the horse to beat um, you know, she has the profile of the horse that I like on the cutback, as you said. Uh, you pretty much said everything that I said. Brad Cox has big numbers, obviously, with this kind of move. Um, the other horse that intrigues me is is the eight four Graces. Yep. Um, you know, last time out, obviously, you know that that field came back is going to come back good because the third place finisher, you know, came back to win a beaten favorite there. You know, might have just regressed off of a big first race. That happens sometimes. I like the cutback here from a mile to seven furlongs. If you recognize the name of the dam, uh, this filly is actually a half to McCracken. So there's pet, plenty of pedigree there. I like the outside post, has tactical early speed. Um, you know, for me, two in the eight are the two horses that I that I like the most. Uh, the one horse that I have no idea what to do with um, is the 11 Aurelia Garland who went off at three to five as a two-year-old for Wesley Ward and aired as so many Wesley Ward two-year-olds did in 2019. Now goes out to a different barn, stretches out from five furlongs to seven, makes first start back in a year for a trainer that's got putrid numbers, you know, 0 for 19, first time with a horse, 0 for 17 off this kind of a layoff. But obviously there's some talent there. Um, you know, I, and Ortiz gets them out. I'll feel dumb if this horse comes back and wins and, and runs a big race again, but I, I would also feel dumb betting the horse and, and she runs ninth beat 18 lengths, which I think is just as possible. So she's the horse in the race that I have the most difficulty deciphering. Yeah. 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 The most, the most confidence I have though is I, I think, I think portrait and four graces are, are, are by far the two horses that you want to have on the top of your ticket. I completely agree, and I'll probably on a, on some you know on some small backup tickets include those two. Um, I guess for me, like when I'm in that situation, most of the time, and depending on the way it is, I think I'd always rather just pick the one single one of the, you know pick one of the two single and then give myself a lot of coverage uh, the rest of the way. You're probably sure. better off in the long run when you do that. But I think we've I think we sniffed out at least the two super talented fillies that are probably the ones to beat in that tenth, and then. It's not going to be any easier trying to close things out if we make it to this 11th race with um, a five and a half furlong turf race with so many question marks in this race, man. So many horses that are coming off of a couple months that haven't raced for a while. We have a few horses that have some speed that kind of look like similar similar profiles. Some of these horses that were good at two, did they improve to three? Um, I know that I'm going to be using Call on Mischief in uh, in most of my tickets because what I like about her is. I think you put a line through the sloppy race two starts back, and I, I like what she did in her first start at three back in February. She kind of kept to the rail. She shot up an early stretch. She angled around. It was just a strong W, and I don't think I have as many questions about her sprinting on the grass as I do many others in here that may be a little one-dimensional. She kind of has the, the, horse who, the, the style of a horse who should get a good late rally in this race, so I'll, I'll use her, but I mean, Darren, you could... 
You could sell me on like almost anyone in this race, like the ten, the eleven, and the six are kind of horses that I have in in like in the top tier. Um, I mean, Fly So Pretty was pretty good. Chili Petten's really quick. I wouldn't be against using you know like Karak. The, the the five has got a little bit of a sneaky pedigree on the grass. The dam actually won a couple times on the turf. That's a legit fast filly who just won over at Aqueduct and uh, tries grass for the first time. The I I mean. Obviously because we haven't had a ton of like real real good races to look at lately But man I really enjoyed handicapping this last part of the car This was another fun one where you can just make many many cases for for horses Oh yeah no there's no question I mean this race There's probably six or seven horses That if you told me you like them and and, you know I I would understand the argument Um, Wesley Ward's got a couple in here Karak and um uh, who was the other one? Uh, uh, Chili, Chili Petten, yeah. 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 So Karak is the one that actually ran against Fly So Pretty last year. Uh, Fly So Pretty beat her by almost three lengths. Then she went to Turfway. Wesley Ward put her there, and she aired. Uh, put up an 82 by her speed figure. Ran in the Grade Three Matron last year as a two-year-old as well. Um, you know, she certainly one that wouldn't shock me to say the least. Um, you know, uh, what do you do with Bredenberry on the cutback? I yeah. mean. You know, we've seen Grand She's Motion. She's not bad. She, no, she, it should fit like the cut. You, you think the cutback should fit nicely? It just yeah. does. She really want to sprint. She lost to a nice outburst who came right back to win. I mean, she fits on class for sure. Yeah, it's just the question of does she want to go? You know, this this distance. She's never been this short, even her races in Europe. Um, you know, chill. I mean, look, Chili Petten. You know, another Wesley Ward, two year old that aired at Keeneland. You know, made went over to Ascot and no good. Laid off for nine months. Comes back, wins an, another one that he sent over to Turfway and 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 won. You know, rather easily. You know, putting away a horse, but not. I don't think was really being asked for her best. Um, yeah. I mean, if if, if you if you're going to be alive, you want to be alive in this race in pick fives or pick fours. Uh, I I think you need to have uh, the four on your ticket. I think you need to have. I would include the eight even yeah. uh, on your Giroux, the nine, the ten, the eleven. Um, you know, even even the the three call on mischief. Yep. I mean, you know, there's so much speed in the race. If someone's going to come pick them all up, you know, it certainly could be her. I, I just the way you structure your ticket, uh, I, I, I have a hard time thinking that somebody can have a stone cold opinion. On one horse in this race, I really do. Um, I agree with you. No, it's it's hard to be really confident. You can see many horses winning this race. It's just hard to be so calm. Like fly so pretty. If she had a race under her belt, you know, right. more recently, I would think she's definitely a standout in here. But and then you you talk about the wards. Like, do the two of them hurt each other? You know, like do the presence of them. And then you have a horse like Byerly Seen, who you know from the rail is probably going to have to go. And then in a big field, you imagine there's going to be some other speed in here. So, yeah, this was a race where if you get through the first four legs of your late pick five and you're here, hopefully you have a, a ton of coverage. Or hopefully you've found something a little more than Darren or I found in this race So you, for the reason to have a strong opinion. Because some races it's just, hey, I, I mean, I think you, you have to be... Five, I'm not going to feel comfortable even when I am five deep, you know, in, in this oh. spot. So, uh, just yeah. um, a a great, great card, and it shows you that it doesn't always have to be ten graded stakes races on a card, Darren, to be a really good card. We just have quality from about the fourth race on. 
some legitimately good deep races at Churchill Downs this weekend, man. It, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and by the way, I left one thing out. Uh, I forgot. So, because the horse is on the also eligible list, but the fourteen Tulanian, he's got a forty-six and one bullet workout at Keeneland in preparation wow. for whenever all this horse runs next. I don't know if she's getting in, and it's hard to win from the fourteen, but just make a note on, on her wherever she shows on. up. Yeah, keep an eye on because you know you don't work forty-six and one best of forty-eight breezing. Uh, without some ability, so you know, Amos, whenever wherever he gets this filly to go, you know, keep an eye on her. You know, you miss her some things because on the old soldier list, but yeah, I mean, hey, look, it's a it's a stacked betting card. It's huge fields, uh, great betting opportunities, and you get uh, the return of Monomoy Girl, which kind of you know really plays towards our fandom of racing in addition to our betting aspect. So uh, it's great to have Churchill back. I'm looking forward to hearing. Uh, Travis Stone back behind the mic as well. And uh, it should be a fun Saturday uh, beneath the Twin Spires. Darren, uh, I appreciate it. We ended up recording this uh, like 40 minute conversation directly following a two hour conversation that we had on SummerSlam 91. They might be uh, out of order when I put the show together, but uh, nonetheless, it's been a lot of fun catching up with you over the last couple months, talking wrestling every week. We are end up to, we're able to catch up on life and other things. And uh, um, I've been meeting to, to have you sit down and, and cap a, a race card with me. And this was a lot of fun. I appreciate your time and, I look forward to uh, talking more wrestling and, and racing in uh, in all sports. We're gonna get getting football in the mix now. Coming to the schedules are out, so hopefully we're getting some of that normalcy back in uh in that sports fandom that we love. I I don't know if I want to talk about football because USA Today just projected the Giants to be two and fourteen. Our second round draft pick from last year, DeAndre Baker, has a warrant out for his arrest for an armed robbery. I saw that today. It, it so, just happened today too, right? Like, like recently. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're off to a we're off to a flying start in the <laughs> era here in Big Blue Nation. I'm very excited for the Giants football season. We'll, we'll we'll continue to monitor that situation, and you can be our eyes and ears over there. Um, sure. D. DZ, you are the man. Um, hope you and the family stay safe over there. Um, uh, and uh, and thanks for everything helping out the last couple months on the show. You become a really big part of that's what G said. The folks out there love you. Always appreciate the uh, the hard work that you put in, buddy. And uh, let's uh, let's make some money this weekend. Sounds good, man. We could definitely use it. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And anytime you need, you know I'm around. I got nowhere else to go. So uh, it, it's fun. I appreciate you having me on, pal. Darren Zocali, good friend of the show um, We just wrapped up the, the Churchill card for you on Saturday So thanks a lot Darren um, Folks don't go anywhere, we're going to take a quick break But we got plenty more on That's What G Said Big thank you to the man DZ, Darren Zocali You're going to hear his voice again in just a, a few minutes Towards the end of the show When we go over that SummerSlam 1991 So let's just do a quick recap Of the, the Churchill place for me um, I'm going to start that first race with a, a pick five. I'm going to play all with three, four, nine, with four, eight, nine, eleven, twelve, with two, with two. And I'm going to play another one um, that's even shorter than that, all with three, four, nine, with four, with two, with two. Hopefully, we can hit this thing, and maybe uh, you know, if you play small, you can hit this. You can punch it a few different times. Race number two. The three, stroll in the bayou, throw in your exotics. Race number three, the four, he's the super one, throw in your exotics. The fifth race, the number two, Mr. Jagger is going to be a single for me. Uh, make sure in the seventh race to include the ten offering. In the ninth race, I like the two at heart and the five royal commission. 
as you know, kind of my top tier horses. Throw them in in your exotics. Tenth race, a lot of my tickets are going to be built around the number two portrait. And uh, in the eleventh race, make sure to throw in the three call on mischief. So maybe some late pick fives at uh at Churchill where I'll, I'll go something like this in the seventh race. Five, eight, ten, eleven, twelve, with one, four, five, six, seven, twelve, with one, two, five, eight, nine, twelve, single the two, with three, six, ten, eleven. Something like that. I'll, I'll mess around in a, in a couple different ways, but that's the the one where I can kind of single the two and, and, and use most of the horses in all, in all the other races that we like. So that's going to be the uh, the Churchill stuff for Saturday. Let's get you over to Santa Anita for Saturday. So again, uh, on Saturday at Santa Anita, we'll start in race number one, and we'll start with that early pick five sequence. I'm going to go to the 12 as my top selection, and that's Ultimate Mystery, who just you know was really slow away in the in the debut. Brutal start was dead last. Was way behind the rest of the field. We're talking you know 12, 15 lengths off early, and really got going late. Angle to the outside, closed a ton. What I like is you know we don't we don't even know if if he has a lack of speed. He might have just broke slowly. He can be a lot closer today. Second time out. Ultimate mystery. You know, you look at the 1, the 2, the 3, the 7, and the 8, they'll probably all be showing speed. So if he does choose the same tactics to, to kind of sit back and make one late run, there should be plenty of pace. But he, I don't think he has to be dead last. Just let him sit, hopefully try to get him out of the gate um, smoother today, get him into the race a little bit more, and we know he has a good late turn of foot. I'm going to use the 12 along with the 11, get on your pulpit. I think you can excuse the last effort. Should get a nice off-the-pace trip. And the 14, little Sydney with the blinkers on, shouldn't be too far out of it. From the, the way outside, is going to have to try to get in and tuck in early. So yeah, this is how we're going to start the early pick five. When would you ever say, at Santa Anita, you're going to get to start the early pick five using the 11, the 12, and the 14? How about that? In race number two... I do think the seven wishful is going to show uh, more speed. I, I the four to me is a nice. It's a nice spot for the four to to come from off the pace. Storm and Ranger on the slight cutback, and then the five Donut Girl. Um, I'm going to go uh, on the claim back for Chu. She's got some races that are good enough to beat this group, and she might be kind of a sneaky horse as far as like a middle priced one in here. So we use the four, the five, and the seven in race number three. I'm going to single the three. And it's Affianced who actually finished behind Nevada in their debut. They both raced on March the seventh. But I'd like what what I saw from Affianced in that she was involved in the race a little more early on. She was kind of in between horses. She had to deal with a little bit of traffic, and then she looms up. But she's just a little bit flat late. I think that same trip. Second time out with the bottom With that race under your belt Will win That same kind of trip So I'm going to single off uh, the number 3 uh, Off Fianced here In the early pick 5 sequence And and then in race number 4 It's a, a short field but it's a really contentious field It's a field of 6 You have Law Abiding Citizen, Axeman Justinian, Kershaw Route 66 and Multiplier Any of which could win in here I'm just going to buy the race Let's just go all it's a field of six. We'll use all in the early pick five. And then we get to race number five. 
the, the the price horse to me to make sure to to include in your exotics here is the nine Bob Sniper. So he's he's okay on the main track. He's he's actually got some decent races. When you dig into him on the grass, he's only run once on the turf. He got crushed. He actually tried to get on the grass earlier on in his career, and that race was taken off the grass. His dam was a five-time winner on the green. I just think he deserves another shot on the grass in here. So make sure to throw the nine, Bob Sniper, in your early pick fives. It'd be a fun horse to be alive to if you make it there, because it should be offering you, uh, you know, should be paying a ton more than a lot of uh, the other horses in this race if you're alive. And then, you know, as long along with the nine, we'll be using, you know, logical horses. The one where the Turk is going to go third off the bench and is going to go back to long on the grass, probably going to be really close from the inside. The two, Chris's Wildcat, forwardly placed, and Pratt jumps aboard. And the eight, Liberal, who is another one who has, it seems like the grass will be a nice fit for Liberal. So, We'll uh, we'll close things out with the one two four eight nine. So that early pick five at Santa Anita is going to look something like eleven twelve fourteen, with four five seven, with three, with all with one two four eight nine. We move to race number six. As one pick five ends, another pick five begins. The late pick five sequence. This is the Echo Eddie, and we'll use two to try to get out of this race. The five club Aspen. He faced open company on the grass last time out going long and was really good when finishing third. And the two-back race, he was actually favored in the Cal Cup Derby over, you know, a group very similar to this. And he he just really didn't show up a whole lot. He was kind of in between horses. He didn't have a great trip, but he really didn't fire. Now he's going to cut back to a dirt sprint. So to me, he's very well uh, intentioned in this spot. And... And then I, I do think the horse to beat is the Philly um, Big Sweep, who was super impressive in her debut. She might just be fast enough where she can just run away and hide from this group. So I'll just use the five and the eight to get things started in the late pick five sequence in race number seven. I mean, this is another really contentious race. Good luck here. You can build a strong case for everyone in this field. It's a field of seven. We're going to buy this race. We're just going to press all five, eight in the sixth, all in race number seven, you move to race number eight, and I really like the three. Been studying her, who's going to get back another one who's going to come back to a dirt sprint. She was so impressive on that November first race. That's one of those races that I can't get out of my head. She's really, really good. And then after that, she stretches out a little bit longer, and she was just never in that race at Los Alamitos. And then she tried long on the grass. Let's just toss her races going long. Let's focus in on her sprint races where she's a perfect three for three. I think you'll get a little more punch from her today. She's going to be a little fresh. And and Flava Flavin Pratt is going to jump aboard. So she's going to be in good hands. That's the three. Ben studying her, who I really like in this spot. The nine, no doubt about it. Warren Showtime, super talented filly. I think she's the class of the field, and she's the one that they're going to have to to all beat. She might be a little bit better on the grass though than she is on the dirt. So, um she I guess could be a little bit vulnerable, but uh, she's honest as as they come. So, let's use those two, the 3 and the 9. We move along to race number 9. And I'll be spreading out a little bit in here, kind of using um 
the logical contenders with the one Haywoods Beach, the two Eastern Ocean, who I think the the stretching out to a to back to a mile blinkers coming off, coming out of that late running um, effort in the five and a half furlong sprint. I think it's going to set up really well for Eastern Ocean in here. Let's use the six, the first time starter for Yakteen, who's really good with firsters going long on the grass. Pratt jumps aboard. We'll also use the ten. Istanbul, look at the the races that he comes out of, right? He hasn't raced since November of 2018, so he has to deal with a ton of of, of like layoff and rust and and who knows. But he's actually got some really really strong works on the page. This is a horse who has faced Roadster, Game Winner, Omaha Beach, and a ton of next out winners in his three starts. I think he obviously has some physical issues. He's been his own worst enemy. We've only seen him on the track three times, and he's a four year old, but. There's something there, so I'm I'm gonna flop him in and use him in the ticket, and I'm also gonna use the 11 fire polish. I know Drysdale can get a horse ready to go long first time out. This one is is not facing necessarily any monsters in this group. There's lots of question marks in here. One, two, six, ten, and eleven in race number nine. Gonna close things out with a single. I just think the five is the best horse in here. So Riso is going to take the blinkers off He's really quick He broke right with the leaders But he ended up sitting second Because there was kind of a runaway uh, leader that day And he just couldn't really He loomed up But he just he couldn't really quicken and go by And I don't even know if he's going to have to pass any horses in here To me the game plan with Soriso Has to be Send him hard We think we have the best horse in this race And make him come and pass him If they have to I think Soriso is a single. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up really getting bet down hard in this spot. So let's just single him to close things out. And we play a late pick five that starts in race number six. Five eight with all. With three nine. With one, two, six, ten, eleven. Single the five in the end. That is Saturday at Santa Anita. Best of luck. All weekend long. We've got Friday Santa Anita, Saturday Churchill, Saturday Santa Anita for you. And uh, we hope we can uh, lead you to a few winners Let's get to SummerSlam 1991 We're going to talk with Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne We're going to go match by match on what is a really good show on the rewatch The crowd is into it Lots of very popular um, finishes and popular results had a blast talking about it We're going to hear from one of our sponsors And then we're going to get into the uh, interview For SummerSlam 1991 One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast Is Cindy Carava, Full service realtor And I am here over in Glendora At Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, What kind of stuff you were working on Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. 
and you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, And uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. We are a little uh, old wrestling again, and uh, this time our journey is going to take us to 1991 for SummerSlam. It's a match made in heaven and a match made in hell. And the boys, Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne, are back. And for the first time, this triumvirate is going to discuss a show that's not a WrestleMania show. And, I mean, Darren, this was your pick. I got to say... I understand now why you picked it, and I, I, I don't. I remember it being a fun show. Looking back, this might be the biggest like babyface crowd pleasing show in it, or, or on the short list of biggest in the history of this company. Yeah, this this was not just send the crowd home happy. This was bring them in happy, keep them happy the whole yes. time with you know a good entree. And then a spectacular Venetian hour at the end to send them all home happy. Uh, yeah. I was lucky enough to, to be at this show in person. Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be to a lot of different events. I've been to three WrestleManias. From start to finish, the most consistent hot crowd I've ever been in. It, it, there's no peaks and valleys to it. This crowd was on edge, was... Raring to go from the six-man tag. Lots to be excited about, too. Yeah. yeah, everything. I mean, and they, and it was, it was a very loud building. I was in this building for a couple of SummerSlams, WrestleMania 10. Uh, This particular show was the loudest and the most consistent noise that I remember, and and it was, it was a really, really fun show. Yeah, I mean, this in watching from start to finish especially at the time, maybe not given what we know now about the last 20 minutes. And we'll get to that way down the line from a wrestling standpoint, lots of baby faces going over everybody bringing it and an in-ring main event that we'll get to that. I was very pleasantly surprised by on the rewatch. Yeah, just do good. I mean, so quickly, and we'll get into everything we get, 
a good babyface six man tag win to start with Bulldog Dragon and Texas Tornado getting a win. You get Bret Hart winning the IC title. Virgil wins the million dollar belt over DiBiase. The Big Boss Man wins the Jailhouse match and and sends the Mountie into the you know the jail skits that we see throughout the evening. LOD wins the tag titles. You get an Andre appearance. On the show, Hogan and Warrior win, and you get Sid turning on the babyface side, and then you get Macho Man and Elizabeth with the wedding. Legitimately, like seven or eight moments that are like like a WrestleMania moment on this SummerSlam show, which was uh which was really cool. You know, one of the real pleasant um surprises on the rewatches. Always liked the show, always liked a couple of the matches, but top to bottom, a lot of fun and. Remember this is 91 now We talked about Wrestlemania 7 If you want to go back and listen to it We recap that full show And that was just a kind of a pleasantly uh, surprising Good show too for the most part throughout And the the only thing that was kind of weird About this show is That you have The, the Slaughter, Adnan And Mustafa team Of you know These Iraqi sympathizers And The at this point the war was kind of over Like even when Wrestlemania had started It was like starting to kind of wind down And so the angle wasn't really as hot As it had been like right when it started The slaughter stuff And so at this point It it wasn't you know Very hot and so they had to try to stack the deck A little bit too by adding Sid in the mix And maybe he's going to turn heel Because the, like the slaughter Mustafa Adnan team This didn't ever seem like a very formidable team Like I remember Thinking there is just no way in hell these guys are beating Ultimate Warrior and Hulk. Yeah, I mean, if if there is one drawback from the main event, you're, you you got two of the biggest, you know, uh, just physically imposing and, and iconic faces of the company in a tag match against Slaughter and you know the the, the Iron Slaughter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, that's like the only thing about it. Um, you do get. And to be honest with you, a, a big part of that match ends up being Sid. Yes. Uh, the storyline, and we'll talk about it, mm-hmm. the story around him. And uh, my God, is he jacked out of his he mind. Looks great. Jeez. Oh, my God. Looks phenomenal. And, and another thing, the crowd, I remember it, hot for Sid, man. I mean, really hot for Sid. And, uh, you know, th- he becomes a big story. He's the guy that gets called out to pose. I remember everybody thinking when Hogan, when I was there, Hogan was waving back to the locker room for somebody to come out, and we all thought it was going to be the Warrior who just chased everybody out with the chair, and Sid shows back up. And, of course, we find out afterwards that the Warrior got fired when he walked through the curtain, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But, yeah, uh, it was a cool main event, um, and, you know, the Sid Sid element to it also added uh, some, you know, maybe maybe you thought he was going to screw Hogan and the Warrior. It was the only way it was going to happen, but it, it was a cool part of it. Andrew, doesn't it feel like, you know, we end this show with Hulk Hogan, or we we the second to last like segment of the show, we end the show with the wedding, with the last match of the show, it's Hogan doing his posing at the end, and it's crazy. This is you know m- you know summer of ninety one, and and we're not even a year later, in WrestleMania ninety two, Hogan's basically gone. He comes back you know for his WrestleMania his next year small little run where he you know he wins at Mania, but but that's basically it. Come 92 doesn't that feel like a million Years away from where we are in this show Honestly No and no okay yeah curveball Because there's a Promo for a Hulk Hogan Retrospective 
that airs right after the Mr. Perfect Bret Hart match. That's a good point. Which, a good by find. the way, is a tremendous match that I'm looking forward to talking about with you guys because there's a lot to unpack there. But I saw that retrospective. And obviously at that point, WWF wasn't doing the kind of three DVD box sets that they churn out for every mid-carder ever nowadays. Hmm. But it certainly seemed like they were preparing for him to be gone. Now, how you plan for a guy like Hulk Hogan to be gone when he's been the focal point of the promotion for the better part of 10 years, that's another story. Especially but, when you got Warrior leaving, you know, exactly. who, who you thought was going to be your 1A, you know, and he's yeah, gone and, into the show. And you bring Sid in, and mind you, I am not the world's biggest fan of Sid as a worker, but my goodness, if any guy ever had the look for the wrestling business, it was Sid. Mm-hmm. If, if, whenever, anybody, whenever anybody talks about star quality, anybody talks about this sort of innate charisma, just point to a picture of Sid. It doesn't matter if it's Sid Justice, Psycho Sid, Sid Vicious, whatever. Dude had it. And it wouldn't have shocked, I think, anybody down the line if you had said, okay, Hogan and Sid are going to main event WrestleMania. What would have shocked people, I think, is not only was Hogan going to be gone, but Warrior's obviously going to be gone. Sid's going to be gone. Slaughter's going to be back to being a pro-USA babyface as if nothing happened. There's a lot going on here, and there's a lot to unpack once we get to that main event. Yeah, even someone like Perfect, who's gone uh, after oh, this yeah. after this for a while too. You know, he's been a big part of like the upper mid card for a while, and then he transitions into you know being the you know the what the financial consultant for uh, or financial advisor for uh, for Ric Flair and and kind of Ric Flair's like so quote unquote manager as as the brain becomes you know full time on more full time on the commentary table. So. Yeah, this is a great show. We have a lot to talk about. We we'll, we get into all of it as we go specifically match by match. So let's just do that, and we'll get started. Um, we have uh, August 26, 1991. We're at Madison Square Garden, as Darren mentioned. He was there, and we get the big Vince voice to start with a match made in heaven and the match made in hell. And That's get, pretty good, man. Yeah, yeah, doing doing my best, and uh, we get we get a. This is an interesting commentary team because we get two of our favorites. We get the Bobby Gorilla combo that we like, and we get Piper in the mix. And you know what? I think it took a little while for their footing, and Piper can kind of get a little crazy in some spots, but he's not awful here. And he wasn't, I didn't mind him on the commentary table because I, I think he did add a little something being like that former wrestler who we've just seen. You kind of believed, like his, his words carried a little bit of weight, especially when you're a kid. With Piper, so uh, yeah, I thought this team was solid. We'll we'll mention some of their uh, their stuff throughout the show, and we get a fast, quick six man tag to start. I love this tag match. This is Bulldog, Dragon, and Texas Tornado versus Warlord and Power and Glory. Dragon, who's Dragon? This is Ricky Steamboat, but you wouldn't have known it because they don't say his name at all. I mean, they only call him Dragon. Vince McMahon was, you know, it's funny how. How and who Vince kind of holds certain grudges against And for some reason Ricky Steamboat was one of them uh, Vince was always mad at him for leaving to spend a little bit of time with his wife After the birth of their son around Wrestlemania 3 time And he really held it against Ricky You know for the, for the, the rest of his time when he was in WWF And then when he came back to WWF But the, um, 
Crowd's super hot for the baby faces All three of them get in, they get some cheers um, Dragon get caught I mean, he's in there for a while, he's selling for a bit uh, We get a lot of Piper calling Brain boobs And uh, we get some of that Bulldog Warlord year-long feud uh, um, reignited We we loved their uh, their hidden gem at Wrestlemania It was uh, one of those really fun matches To look back on But a weird time for Steamboat in this match That was the one thing that kept coming to mind for me In this really short WWF run that he had But a great way to start this show Get the crowd up really fast Three baby faces that the crowd really loved Against you know heels that they loved to root against This was fun Yeah I, you take Steamboat out of it And this could be a Moving ad for Android and HGH because <laughs> yeah, I mean my God, Bulldog Warlord. I mean I even Herc. I don't remember Herc ever at, being at this time. Whew. Yeah, I mean he's massive. Um, couple of things before I dive into the match. Number one, one of my favorite opens uh, for any pay per view. I love the line from Vince: "Nuptials turn to napalm." <laughs> yes, yes, that's a great <laughs> Good one. Line. Good line. Uh, one other thing that I noticed here, and, and I have to go back and watch the older pay-per-views because I don't remember, but I don't know if the hard camera is in a different spot or if the entrance is in a different spot. But if you remember WrestleMania 10, the hard camera is directly opposite where the uh, wrestlers make their entrance. Here, the entrance is to the, to the left. And I was always curious. I don't remember if they switched the camera view or if they actually switch the entrance and they put in, um, you know, like makeshift benches and, and risers where the entrance is for WrestleMania 10. I'm not sure. I'm going to try to go back and figure it out. But one of those weird things that stuck out to me. Um, yes, crowd's hot from the beginning. You get the three big entrances. The, uh, the heels are already in the ring. Uh, Tornado's coming off his icy title run. Uh, you talked about the Dragon and Steamboat. Uh, Bulldog, who's got uh, still a lot of... Uh, you know, pop behind him. And there's a moment where him and, again, him and Warlord get in the ring at the same time together, and as they did much of the year, the crowd just goes nuts when that happens. Uh, you know, the two monsters bouncing off each other. You know, Bulldog hits him with the kind of half-flying clothesline, showing how much he can move. The the announcers are really into it, you know, knocking him down. When he gets him up for that vertical suplex, Bobby, whoa! You know, like, holy, you know, one of those, I can't believe he got him up deals. Um, you know, Piper's into it. Uh, like you mentioned with this team, there are times that Piper gets to be a little bit much in the show. There are times that his contributions actually make things better. At times in like the Virgil and DiBiase match where he talks about his bomb there. But um, the one thing about this match that I, that I actually uh, put a negative to, um, Bulldog messes up the ending. And I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, that. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Bulldog hits the power slam on Roma. And it's like he forgets who's supposed to get the cover. And he's clearly supposed to tag the dragon. But then he he kind of makes a move to go tag Steamboat. And then he goes back for the cover off his finisher. And, and Roma has to kick out of it. So he kicks out of Bulldog's finisher. <laughs> People don't really notice it because there's all kind of chaos it's, going on. There's a lot happening. Yeah. yeah. Dragon hits the high cross body for the win. Um, but aside from that, it's a pretty cool match. Uh, you know, the baby faces get the win. There's some good moves in there. You get the big power versus power thing with Warlord and Bulldog again. I enjoyed it. Uh, a really good way to start the pay-per-view, I thought. Darren, I'm going to piggyback off of what you just said because I noticed something else about that finish. And when you brought up Bulldog, it made total sense. 
Bulldog has to tag Steamboat in. The referee's back is turned. Uh, it, go back and watch. They make the tag. The referee's in the opposite corner. His back is to the faces corner. And if we're going to be complete sticklers for the arbitrary rules of professional wrestling, as adhered to by smart fans everywhere, that tag should not have counted. Now, obviously, there was something going on there, and nobody complained because it was a really good opening match that gets lost to history a little bit, in large part because you hear the names Warlord and Power of Glory. You think of three guys that can't really work. You hear Kerry Von Eric, the Texas Tornado, and you think guy on one foot, tons of personal issues. But this was a really good use of all six guys. Everybody got their offense in, and I bought the discus punch with Bulldog landing on top of Warlord as the finish Mm -hmm. initially. I forgot what the finish was, and I thought that was the finish because that was pretty well done. Warlord had Bulldog up on his shoulders, and Kerry Von Erich hits the discus punch. Bulldog falls down on him. I thought that would have been a pretty neat finish. As it stands now, we got a neat finish, just one that uh, was a bit on the botchy side. Yep, so this went about uh, 10, I think it went 10.43, and a fun start, crowd's hot, and you get a good use of, you know, six guys on the on the match. And again, this is, they kind of started getting a little bit smarter around this time um, of not making this three separate matches on the show, right? Like, this was, you know, you're going to have some more uh, Bulldog Warlord to continue on, that's fine. And then if you would have had some sort of, like, the dragon and Kerry Von Erich versus and the tornado versus like like power and glory. Like this was better with this one match with these six than with two matches or three matches. However, they would have you know split it up. So I I like what they're, they're just kind of starting to figure like pay per views out and stuff around this time. They really are. You know they're they're starting to get their they find their footing here. And um this was a really well put together show. And we come up on a match that you know. This match gets really like looked upon very, very well in history, and I gotta be honest, you know, when, and I'm, I'm I was looking back, and Mister Perfect is someone who is always discussed as you know a great in ring worker, which he was, um, and he when he had some some really good matches. Is this his best match? It, it could be uh, because Mel- I, yeah, Meltzer gives it four stars. I think it's better than that. Yeah, I me think- too. Yeah. I think it's I think more it's four and a half ish. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, and and I just cause you look throughout his career and the ones that you know you you remember for the big Mr. Perfect matches, um, he's got the one with Flair, you know, obviously the uh the loser leaves uh WWF match in ninety three on like I think it was the first episode or one of the first few episodes of Monday Night Raw, and then you got um, he's got a good one with Tito, like uh, that's on uh, Saturday night's main event and stuff, and he's got the other good one with Brett at King of the Ring. Um, in '93, so this I, I think, and I, you know, even when you look into WCW, he's got a couple okay ones later, and then he's got a like one or two maybe like the, I think in the AWA that were good before that. But this might be the best match of his career, which knowing what we know about the shape that he was in physically, and knowing what we know about you know him being gone now following this for a year and a half he came back into what survivor series 92 um was was his first match back he, th- it makes this match even more impressive to me um these two guys they got great chemistry we see it we see it when they hook up again uh you know 2 years later down the line at king of the ring and we have uh, mr perfect cutting a promo before uh quick quick promo he just says Brett is excellent but he's not perfect i thought that was kind of cool 
Um, and uh, out comes Brett with Stu and Helen in the audience. So th- they're playing into that. That Brett's parents are there and the Hart family's there. And Mr. Perfect now no Bobby Heenan because Bobby isn't managing anymore. So he has the coach with him for uh, this just kind of short lived run. Um, and I mean, it's a really fast start. Um, Bobby hears a rumor about Piper's parents and how they ran away from home. And uh, <laughs> Piper would come home from school and find out his parents have moved. <laughs> and Piper's getting pissed because he's doing this throughout the show, talking about his parents. It's pretty funny. Um, he uh, and then he says, "You can't pull Bret Hart's hair. You'll get too many oil slicks in your in your hand." Um, and then Bobby's openly cheering for Perfect. Obviously, they've got the the ties. But but I will say he's in this match, and for the most part. He was pretty respectful of Brett. I mean, he 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 made fun of the stew and, and and Helen stuff, but as far as like Brett's ability, he didn't really downplay him like he did a lot of other baby faces that you you could kind of tell a a little bit about throughout throughout some of the, the Brett matches that he called. And then the best is this gorilla just randomly calls Brain a loser. You're a loser. <laughs> <laughs> and he said and Piper says Brain knows about the soup line. Um there's some back and forth here and and then the match really starts to 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 pick up uh, Perfect looks so good for the just being possibly injured. Bobby and Brain getting into it, and then Perfect gets the advantage. At one point, he sort of drops Brett off the top rope and falls onto him. I don't know if they messed that up or if it was a spot, but it was like one of those spots that they, you mess up that still kind of looks good. It almost looked like they were trying to do to do that, and then Brett turns the tables. He um, he takes the advantage for a while. Um, there's some things we're gonna miss, obviously, but. Uh, but uh, Darren, I mean, this is back and forth, and we really start to—I don't know if this was the first time, but this is the first time I can remember seeing like that real Brett sequence of moves, you know, in like one of his singles matches where you get the uh, the advantage. You know, he's getting what the the suplex, and and he hits his like you know um, you know his side Russian leg sweep, the backbreaker, the short elbow off the ropes. We get that sequence that we we came to know for years from Brett. Yeah, yeah, and and it's just. I mean, I don't want to use the word perfect because nothing is perfect, and especially playing off of who's in the match. It's as technically sound of a match that you're going to see. Yep. Uh, the spot that you're talking about, Gino, even if it was a botch, you'll never know it. And, yeah. and if it was a botch, here's what makes it even more brilliant. Because if you remember, when perfect falls on him, it's like the referee's caught off guard by it. Yeah. And low counting the three, and perfect grabs Hefner by the face and shoves him into the corner, and it becomes like this whole thing between Perfect and the ref. So even if it was a botch, Perfect turned it into a great moment in the match, and you wouldn't even know. Yeah, Yeah, and it worked. Exactly. Um, Yeah, I mean, by the way, what we're talking about with the shape that Perfect's in, he's got a herniated disc and a broken tailbone in this match, which is, like, crazy that you can even move. I mean... Yeah, you know, I, I take my, my daughter around and I'm pulling her on our bicycle because she's refusing to pedal, you know, and my back is killing me for three days. So that, that's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, beyond just the wrestling, the way they tell the story, you think these two guys genuinely hate each other, throwing each other across the ring by the hair, constantly grabbing the hair. Um, there's a couple of really cool sequences of moves. Um, the, the high cross body from... Uh, you know, where, where, where uh, Brett gets knocked out of the ring, jumps back on the ring, he hits that shoulder to Perfect's gut, and Perfect's, like, lower half just goes flying out up into the air. Uh, you get the sunset flip. 
right into the side headlock. It's like bang, 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 fast stuff. You get those slams and kickups where they're kicking off the uh, the guy that just slammed them so they can get back up. Just really cool sequences. Brett takes his turnbuckle stuff. He does that face first into the turnbuckle better than anybody. It looks like he's going 90 miles an hour into that thing. Um, you know, perfect snap neck breaker is a beautiful move where he comes over the top and does like a midair, you know, kind of a tumble salt or somersault. And, you know, they do that snap of the neck. Um, yeah, I mean, but there's just leaving, there's, so, there's little things. Like even when Brett's on the floor outside, and Perfect's got to get back in the ring. He steps on Brett to get back in the ring. It's like it's just little things like that that help tell the story. Uh, everybody gets all of their big offense in. You get some false finishes. The Perfect Plex is always one of my favorite moves of all time uh, just because it's not like really anything else we've ever seen. It's it's a version of a suplex, sure, but it's so original. Uh and the pop when Brett wins in the building was deafening. Phenomenal match. One of my favorite matches uh, in WWE history. Darren, before we go any further, I just want to tell you, for pushing your daughter when she refuses to pedal, you are nothing short of a hero, my friend. <laughs> I just want to make sure we all stop and we all give him his due before we move on. Because, I mean, we're talking about a guy with a herniated disc in his back. Dude could have been in a wheelchair, and he's out there wrestling a 20-minute match with Bret Hart. But I really think that we need to focus on... Anyway. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Um, so, this match is great. It's a fun, good match solid technical match but the reason that i love this and darren you alluded to this as well and i'm so happy that you did it strikes as good a balance as you're going to find between being technically as good as you're going to see and being the blow off to a feud with some legitimate animosity behind it i remember a couple of years ago the chris jericho kevin owens match at wrestlemania yes it was good but this was a blood feud. People were going through televisions. It was something where you expected this big, huge, bloody encounter with legitimate angst and stiff moves. And they started it out with a collar and elbow tie-up. It was just a complete and total mess. And this match is how you're supposed to execute a match like this. And it's with two pros who could work a really good match with just about anybody. I don't know if this was Mr. Perfect or Kurt Hennig's best match ever. His AWA stuff was transcendent back in the mid to late 80s. If you have the network, go kill a couple of hours and finding his old AWA stuff because some of his matches with Nick Bockwinkle were Great. just excellent. And it really provides an appreciation for everything Kurt Hennig could do before personal injuries and his demons took over. Now, this match... It's good for a lot of different reasons. You get the storytelling between the two guys. You get Bobby Heenan. And, Gino, I'm a little bit surprised you didn't mention, in my opinion, the line of the show. Gorilla goes, concerned looks on the faces of Stu and Helen Hart. And Heenan jumps down Monsoon's throat and goes, you know why they're concerned? They snuck in. <laughs> Such a good line. Such a good line. And I loved how Stu Hart, for being as tough as he was, for being as respected as he was, never saw himself as above that sort of thing. He was always happy to be in on the show with Heenan and Jesse Ventura and Jerry Lawler. My God, Jerry Lawler. It, it, it added a lot to the proceedings because here you have this respected patriarch and you have this 
uppity heel that you're just hoping gets his comeuppance in some way, shape, or form. But ultimately, he'll put his foot in his mouth at some point. We'll all laugh, and it'll be part of the show. Brett kicks out of the perfect plex. This hadn't been done. No, I don't think so. At this time, WWF was still protecting finishers. Now you see four or five finishing moves in a match, and it's nothing. At that point, if someone hit their finishing move on you, match was over, you were out. Hart kicks out of the perfect plex, and then a couple minutes later, counters the submission into the sharpshooter. It was a really cool spot. The only hole, though, is Earl Hebner. Stop me if you've heard this before. Rings the bell a little early. A little, I think. And I wonder if he was trying to help Perfect a little bit here. Might you know what I mean? Been. Like, just, and, and that's what I, th- I thought. And you're right. Cause I, yeah. it's so quick. Like, I mean, he gets it on immediately and Brett hasn't even sat down and he's already, he's already calling yeah. for the bell. Yeah. It's uh, still a great match. And it's oh, yeah. nothing away from it. The last thing that I wanted to touch on is Brett goes into the crowd, hugs his family, whatever. Lord <laughs> Alfred Hayes. And I'm not going to this try so to do funny. the accent. Please, I'm not going to do it. I have too much respect for both the two of you who I <laughs> like very much and for the listeners out there to do the accent. But Lord Alfred Hayes does say, this is a highly emotional scene. And over his back shoulder, you see Stu Hart emotionless. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> it's so freaking funny. Now, Helen throws herself into the act, and she's all happy for her boy. Her boy wins the title, comes and hugs his mom. That's great. And Stuart is just standing there like, eh. <laughs> it's so good. The entire thing from start to finish is so good, and it's an example of putting somebody over on their way out the door as Perfect did. He, the, the interaction with Stu after um, Lord Alfred says, he's looking at him, and it, and it looks like he's going to like ask Stu to talk, you know, and he says, uh, he, like he asks him a question And then yeah. Stu is like About to open his mouth and talk And then Alfred goes Stu Hart overcome with excitement Ask Stu what yeah. it is like, Cuts him completely off He says he asks him what he thinks Stu says like two words and then he just Shuts him down Dude, Too much excitement here back to you guys I mean it was just Just funny um, yeah, yeah, One cool yeah, yeah, moment I'll tell you in this match that last sequence of of blocked moves that ends up going into the sharpshooter so when when brett blocks it and you and you start to see the legs get intertwined the people in the crowd start to become aware of what's happening and there was a slow build like a buzz as that was going on where it was different than when he stands up, picks up the legs, puts it through where you know what's coming and, and you get this instant thing. It was like, is he trying to maybe, it looks like it could be the, the sharpshoe. Wait, yeah, I think, oh, wait, he's turning them up. And, and like everybody, as that was happening, you could hear it in the building just gradually ramp up, which was so cool because it was, it was different than this sudden explosion, which you do get when he gives in. But... During that sequence, it was just because people were literally like leaning forward in their chairs, like trying to see over the guy in front of them, like peering out, like is is that what is that what's happening? That it, it was it was a really cool moment, and it was one of the for me one of the funnest ways that Brett ever put the sharpshooter on in his career. The way that I would liken that too is. In the late 90s, there was a stretch in WCW where it seemed like Diamond Dallas Page would find one ridiculous way after another to apply the diamond cutter. Yep, out of and nowhere. you were wondering, oh, 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 
that's what I would yep. like in that too. And it's really cool when you can get both a move and the guy doing it over like that in one shot. Yep. This is, yeah, this is great all around. It goes um, just over 18 minutes. And I mean, there are, the crowd is so pumped at the end. And then throughout, I mean, there's big let's go Brett chance uh, late in this match. You get some cheating from the coach. He distracts uh, Brett at one point and just, very, very, very good. I mean, like we said, maybe, maybe like the finish and like one thing here or there. But to me, this is like four and a half between like a four and a half to five, even if you want to say it. Like, um, I think Brett might have. I think the only reason that this isn't is that may, you might be able to find a couple better Brett matches in in his career. You know, and that might that's probably the only reason why this doesn't stack up as high because maybe his matches with Owen and even the Davey match or the Austin match, you know, you, uh, you, you probably have those held a, a tad higher than this, but, but not a whole hell of a lot. And this was great because this was, this was like the first big moment for Brett as a single star. This was the big moment that just kind of slingshotted his career because we're talking about a guy who in what 13 months is the world champ, 14 yeah. months, you know, not, not long after this, um, so uh, Brett, his first of some really good SummerSlams too We think about his good Mania matches But he has some pretty damn good SummerSlam matches uh, uh, Coming up over, what, 91, 92, 93 Even like a sneaky good little thing going on there With Jerry, with Doink You know, that's better than it has to be 94 with uh, with Owen So yeah, a good little run at SummerSlam for Brett Now we get to the Bushwhackers With Andre the Giant backstage they talk about the uh, natural disasters. They got a match coming up with the natural disasters. You know, I believe there were like some. There were supposed to be, or they they wanted to get Andre in the tag team with the earthquake, and that's what it was. And then uh, they they wanted to, I guess, to get Andre together with them. And when he he, he wouldn't do so, um, they end up. Having a, they show it in kind of the buildup where earthquake goes after Andre's leg, and they are poor guy. It's like he's literally just. Holding onto his leg while Andre like slowly falls onto the mat, and th- this is Andre's final WWF perform um, appearance, right, Darren? Yeah, this is the last time we see him on uh, on pay per view TV. Absolutely correct. So, uh, yeah, it's b- very sad, and you know, I think within two years, uh, Andre will be uh, will be gone here, and they. Um, they wanted to get Andre out, you know, because he helps give the Bushwhackers like a, a little bit of oomph here, and and this and was, they needed oomph. Let's oh, be yeah. real, yeah. And yeah. Th- this was, I think, one of the maybe the down spots of the show when you talk about you know a really really good show. Um, this match ends up going six minutes and twenty seven seconds, but it's it's I think one of the first times the natural disasters are together. Um, or they've maybe been together on some superstars and stuff, but this is like the, I would think one of their first big appearances on a big show. So you're starting to build them up as this new kind of big heel tag team, and you want to give them a win, and you give them a win. Uh, you, you, you give them the opportunity here to do so. So this ends up going six twenty seven. The natural disasters get the win. I mean. This this really isn't much, but th- what's funny is in the promos before they talk about the natural disasters and they say they're gonna lick them and eat them and give them to Andre, <laughs> which is just bizarre. And the the one thing I wanted to mention about these guys too, you know, the the bushwhackers that we know from WWF was a goofy comedy gimmick team 
Who came out and they were for the kids But they never ever seemed Legitimate in any way shape or form But when you go back and you Look at this team before they came To WWF and hey they made A hell of a lot of money I'm sure working for Vince And they didn't mind quote unquote selling Out or maybe not being the same guys I, don't, I, I never like the word the, the Term selling out it's like you're playing a different role This was the role that Vince cast them In, in the show but They were badass dudes when they were The sheep herders and, and, and before they came to WWF I mean they have wins Over some huge Tag teams some major stars I'm talking like wins over Piper in territories Like long feuds with them They were guys that were in like blood feuds And big hardcore type matches So it's really crazy to see them be These goofy goofy bushwhackers If you've seen any of their previous stuff Because they were legitimate Badass dudes And um, Bobby leaves commentary To go see Hulk and the natural disasters for the most part dominate the match Bushwhackers get a little offense in early But it's more about like continuing the, the feud poor, poor Bushwhackers are just playing a, playing a role here Because they have nothing really to offer in this match This is about getting Andre on the card And then this is about furthering the feud with the natural disasters And the LOD who end up coming out to save Andre Um and the only thing you really see much of from Andre is he swings his cane at the natural disasters when they walk out in that earthquake. But um, not really a match, even. It, it is a match, but this is more like about the angle and furthering things. Yeah, and and just to speak to what I was talking about before, even this match, which is a cool down match, the crowd is louder than it should be for this yep. match. You know, and and that's that goes to what I was talking about before. Um, I'm glad you brought up the stuff about uh, the sheep herders because I, I was going to mention when they did the UWF uh, uh, Dark Side of the Ring the other night with uh, what's his name? The guy that ran it. Herb Ken Abrams. Abrams. I don't know why I can't always say Ken. Herb Abrams. Um, I was surprised that there was not something with the sheep herders uh, because they were their tag team champions for a yeah. while. Yeah, they beat DiBiase and uh, Dr. Death, right? Steve Williams. Um so I thought that there would be be something with them in there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, believe it or not, the Bushwhackers were wrestling in, like, the late 60s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this They've is been around for, thir- like, 28, 25 years at this point. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Um, a random thing outside with, with Andre. I don't know if you notice it uh, during the match, but I, where I was sitting, I was kind of sitting uh, to the left of where um, – the, the wrestlers would, would enter maybe about, you know, 10 rows up into like the, you know, the first, the first level uh, above, you know, the floor seats. Um, Andre's kind of like right there where the entrance meets the ring almost. And at the beginning of the match, he actually, he sits down, he's sitting on a chair. Yeah. Uh, and some, at some point, somebody came over to him and made him get up and took the chair away. And you don't see it in the show. That's a good but wow. It's weird because I remember because I, I his back was to me where I was sitting. Someone came over, gave him a tap, said something. He stood back up, and they took the chair away. Um, and he he ends up having a couple of spots on camera where like earthquake rolls out of the ring and he's right in Andre's face and stuff. And maybe they wanted to make sure he was up for that. But I, I just I always found that weird. Um, that they made him get up because he was in really bad shape at this point. And, uh, you know, he probably needed those, um, you know, walking assist devices, the the kind of crutches that he had 
um, not just for his knee, he had terrible back and, and other issues. Um, but yeah, the match does what it's supposed to do. It gets the heels over. It's going to set up a bit of a, a, a rivalry between them and LOD. Match is what it is. You do get the pop at the end when LOD comes out. Um, you know, and it's basically just to kind of lay the groundwork for you know them working with uh, with the natural disasters. But yeah, a couple of just I had a couple of uh, you know asides to that match because there's really not a whole lot to yeah. talk about in the ring. Poor Andre. Poor, poor, poor Andre. I mean, you look at this and it's incredibly difficult to believe that a couple of years earlier, this guy was wrestling in front of 93,000 people, allegedly, at the Silver Dome in Detroit in front with Hulk Hogan, biggest show in the history of the company. And now he's punched over with the crutches. And as Darren mentioned, was sitting down and they took the chair from him. I mean, there's something to be said for fading away with a little bit of dignity. And that just, now that you mention it, Darren, that stinks to high heaven, man. I understand why they might've felt like they needed to do that, but with 30 years of hindsight, it just, it stinks. Yeah. Now this match on a little bit more of a funny note, there were a couple of really good lines right at the beginning. Gino, you mentioned that there were times in the show where Piper seemed a bit much on commentary, but when the natural disasters came out, earthquake was in the ring and Piper goes, that man is living proof. Chernobyl happened. <laughs> <laughs> and Bobby Heenan, a couple minutes later, I don't know whether he felt threatened by that or if he felt the need to top it or whatever, but he had the ultimate, I don't want to laugh, but I'm laughing line when he said, if I was managing the Bushwhackers, I'd commit suicide. I just, just so you watch the match and you watch the Bushwhackers doing the Bushwhacker shtick some way, somehow these guys who don't look like they can walk and chew gum at the same time in this gimmick are over. I know this crowd is going bananas for the Bushwhackers. They are. And I'm watching and I'm trying to see the appeal and I'm going, what? I know. This is on the screen. This is the third match on one of WWF's biggest shows of the year. Like not entirely sure what was going on. I mean, obviously the plan was get the natural disasters over. They do that. They win the match. They go outside. There's a little bit of tension as far as, oh, are they going to go after Andre? Road Warriors come out, make the save. The one thing that I did notice in that match more than anything else, and we can talk a little bit about this. Darren, you mentioned the layout of Madison Square Garden being far different than a traditional WWF or WWE arena. The aisle way to get to the ring, very, very short. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like, the road warriors took two steps and they were in the ring. They were like right there. Yeah, And I understand the allure of that. It's different. It's how, you know, you're at Madison square garden, but at the same time, when you get guys who their big appeal is music hits, crowd goes crazy, seeing them walk to the ring and you eliminate the time it takes for them to walk to the ring. It's not like it's a negative, but it takes a net positive and turns it into a neutral. Yeah. And that's something that we can talk about a little bit more because that does come into play when LOD comes out later. Yep, that's a good point. And um 
yeah, we'll see the natural disasters as kind of like a, a tag team for the next what a year and a half uh, or or so, just about a little over a year, and they're one of like the the big players in the tag team division. And uh, then we get how about this? So we get backstage. Um, Bobby the Brain Heenan is in front of Hulk Hogan's dressing room on WWF television. We get the NWA title, which is really just crazy to think about. You know, these two like rival promotions for so long. You get the NWA WCW big gold belt right here on WWF. We've seen it now, and 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 in this angle, it was you know they had to uh um like pixelize the the title. That was like the rule they had to and 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 brought Bobby challenges Hulk on behalf of Flair. Could you just imagine at this time And we didn't At least me, you know I'm, I'm, I definitely remember watching this show even live At four and a half years old And But I don't, of course I don't know what the hell Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan means In the grand landscape of wrestling But it's crazy Like to see this The, the start to this build That we never really got the big blow off match In WWF It's starting right here, Darren And I'm sure there were so many like huge wrestling fans that were going hell yeah you know this was the match we've been waiting for flair's going to beat hogan you know they're probably all the 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 internet wrestling fans of that of that era were probably loving this going flair's going to beat hogan you know he's going to show up. this this is like a massive deal that kind of is kind of in, in passing on this show because there's so much other good stuff here yeah there's a lot going on and i will take over now because it would appear as though darren is on mute so, Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. It, that's why I'm here. It's why I'm here. There but we go. no, this was an epic promo, and it's the kind of thing where you wonder why WWF didn't do this when they bought WCW, have somebody yeah. representing the last WCW champion, Booker T, start pounding down Steve Austin's door, pounding down the rock store to say, we challenge you to determine who the real world's champion is. You can reuse angle concepts like that. And Especially it's after five they, years. Yep. It's, it's a wonder they never did. And it's a wonder they never ran Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair on a big stage as they were hinting nine months before the following WrestleMania. I mean, come on, this isn't hard. If you have a plan like that, with two of the biggest stars in the history of professional wrestling, and you have a stage in front of 60, 70,000 people, whatever fake number you want to tell, you put that match on. This is not complicated. And as we mentioned in our review of WrestleMania 8, that was one of the few things WCW did right in the early stages. When they got Hogan, the very first thing they did was run Hogan Flair. And just watching this promo made me upset we didn't get that at WrestleMania 8. There's no main event heels at this time either. Look, no. we had to, we still had to have Slaughter in this role with Adnan and Mustafa because Jake and Taker weren't quite ready yet. And we see yep. that that they go with Taker later in the year. But could you imagine Flair coming in right now and like the feud with Flair end of 91 into 92? Give me Flair at Survivor Series instead. You can build that up cheating there, the rematch at Royal, whatever, whatever's going to happen. You know, it's just 
There were no like And it's pretty crazy to look at this like how much better Or the main event was still fine But could you imagine how much more interesting That match would have been if it was like Hogan and Warrior Versus Jake and Undertaker you know, Which is what it should have been because which is, because These two guys were like The hot heels at the time but they end up Getting involved in the wedding Like post stuff afterwards and but again, like it's it's crazy that those it should have been those two. That would have been a really fun tag match with those four. Um, nonetheless, we get uh we get you know the teases of Hulk and Flair. Darren, any thoughts on this whole thing with the NWA? Yeah, sure. I mean, you you mentioned the the thing about when uh, when Vince bought WCW. I, I think when he bought WCW in the in the very beginning, his main goal was to shit all over it. Yeah, oh, of course I, I, it was, and that's I'm, another problem. Yeah, it was all ego. He took all of those low card to bottom mid card guys and put them in a stable with Shane. He didn't bring over any of the big guys other than Booker T originally. I, I just think that was his plan, and, and it just shows ego and you know eccentricity and just being short sighted. And which you know, we, he he does that a lot, but for, he uh, he shows you a lot of times that he's he's willing to give up you know like personal stuff for making money. So it's yeah, weird. Brian at WrestleMania 30, not the original plan. Yeah. The Warrior, even, you know, yep. changing the plans with Brett in 94 and Luger, you know what I mean? Like, he's willing to call audibles and go a different way, bring back, you know, like, like we said, the Warrior stuff. How many guys that he felt like they had burned bridges with? Kurt Angle, you know, they rekindled their stuff. People that left the company badmouthed him, but he could see still money in them, so he brings them back. So it's weird because we. It's like we talked I talked about with Steamboat earlier. You just don't know which Vince you're gonna get a lot of the time. Yeah. You you don't. Yeah, Are you gonna no. get like the snide, like, you know, like trying to prove a point, Vince, like he was, you know, maybe with, with even with Flair coming in here. Maybe he just never wanted Flair to go over his guy Hogan, you know, like that, you know. Um and, and he did the same in WCW. Like, man, it would have been great if you would have brought in Flair immediately, you know, then and Goldberg and you bring in Nash and, and some of those other guys and you make them like there. Unfortunately, that, that just wasn't the case. Like you said, he sometimes yeah. has his, his, his like uh, his torpedoing ideas in, in place. Yeah. And the Flair Hogan stuff, I, I was at a couple of house shows because they actually fought a whole bunch yeah. on house shows. And, and I was at a couple of them. So I was at one house show where Flair had the actual NWA title. And then I was at a house show where he was wearing like an old WWF tag team title. (laughs) And I never understood why the one show he had the actual belt and the other show he didn't. Maybe something happened legally in between the two that I uh, was too young to know about. Um, I saw that match twice at house shows. Now, granted, look, it's a house show, so take it for what it's worth. They were okay. Um, they weren't anything great. They end, usually ended in a schmoz of some kind. Um, but, I mean, they were okay. Um, and and the crowd was into it, you know. Um, maybe just not into it as much as Vince wanted them to be into it in order to make it a WrestleMania main event. But I always thought, I know back then, you know, if it didn't happen on TV, it didn't happen. But... You know, they would use house shows to test things, but there were people like myself who were at house shows who were watching WrestleMania. Yeah. So if you were going to build, you know, Flair versus Hogan for the first time ever, you know, at eight years old, I'm calling bullshit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Damn you and your logic, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) 
so uh, we now move on to uh, Macho Man. He's backstage. He's on the phones talking to fans. He's getting ready for the wedding. Oh, Miss Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. As uh, the Million Dollar Man is backstage with Sean Mooney and they are Sherry's with them, and they're talking about and showing all the embarrassing things that Ted made Virgil do. And uh, he has some words for Virgil, and then out comes uh, Ted DiBiase versus Virgil for the million dollar belt. And I gotta say, you know, just to preface this with, like Virgil, n- nobody's ever gonna confuse Virgil with a great worker, right? He he that he you could tell, especially in some of his first matches in. In like given any time in the ring He was very raw He was not like smooth the, He does a damn good job here And this whole package Like between Ted DiBiase Between Sherry being out there Between Piper help selling him On uh, and, and, and Brain and Gorilla On commentary This match is good it, It's not like a quality thing But it's it it's exciting The crowd is really into it it kind of goes back and forth. It has a lot of emotion into it as well. You don't get anything more than like, you know, Virgil giving some punches. Like that's it. He he's just like that's really all you're getting from him. But it's this is good. Like they do as great a great of a job with this match as they possibly can. Um you get Bobby to come back on commentary. Um it's a hot start for Virgil. He even he attacks DiBiase before the bell rings, which DiBiase later complains about. And then Piper's cheering hard for him. Virgil's bobbing and weaving. He looks really good. His punches and his like his he looks like he's boxing out there. It's really smooth. A big atomic drop. Um DiBiase then gets the advantage and then he's working at like an intense rate for DiBiase Who a lot of times has got to play more of the slimy heel Who's like like begging off But he's going at Virgil hard And Virgil's selling really really well Virgil locks in the million dollar dream And then Sherry comes in the ring And just a blatant Just nails Virgil in the back Which looks like it's going to be a DQ But the referee chooses not to make the DQ He makes Sherry leave ringside Sends her back The match continues and we just get more punches from Virgil Punch, 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 you know, take a shot every time Virgil uh, gives a punch, you're gonna be drunk as hell But it's still good And he, um, he Ref gets knocked out DiBiase's talking trash to Piper While Virgil's out And uh, Ted looks good with a couple suplexes And then a pile driver And then the crowd starts chanting for for Rowdy uh, They're chanting, Rowdy, Rowdy And then Ted DiBiase Just this is great. He just kicks the crap out of the referee when he's out, and Bobby says he, uh, he's just waking him up. That's just how DiBiase wakes people up, like <laughs> just like so nonchalantly, like oh yeah, he just kicks the crap out of people to wake them from their slumber. And uh, Virgil counters. He tosses Ted into an exposed turnbuckle. Both men are out on the canvas. Ted DiBiase's literally like knocked out cold. Virgil crawls over, gets the pin. Crowd super hot for Virgil. This is the biggest moment of his career, of his of his wrestling life, right here. Celebrating this win up on the turn, the, the top ropes with with holding the million dollar belt up. Um, and then we get the the Bobby line to end this. Uh, uh, Darren, the next time you see that belt, it's going to be hanging from a 1979 caddy driven by Virgil. <laughs> there's, there's two different. I'm I'm going to do the in ring stuff and then the outer ring stuff because there's so much to both. Um. You know, Virgil's best match in WWE, biggest oh, yeah. moment in WWE, as you said. Um, look at the, the start of the match. 
when Virgil flies into the ring to attack DiBiase, who's standing on the inside turnbuckle, everybody is standing. This is Virgil versus Ted DiBiase in the middle of the card. Everybody is standing, and I remember it, uh, which is striking. Um, goes on that great offense. You know, he's not, you know, he gets the attack, and then obviously DiBiase goes into control for a while, and you covered all of it very well. Um, I will tell you the end of the match. So when he gets DiBiase into the turnbuckle and they both go flying backwards and they're on their back, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if there's more wrestling to come. You don't know if it's somebody has to get up to get the advantage. So now, like, they're laying flat on their backs, and Virgil starts to move a little bit, and he slowly starts to creep towards DiBiase. And like I talked about with Bretton Perfect in the crowd, happening again. You know, slow ramp up as he's easing his way over to DiBiase. You know, is he, you know, and, and the pin kind of caught us off guard because we still thought that there was going to be a little bit more wrestling in there to, to get a, a move in place. I didn't think that when both of them were out that he was just going to crawl over and yep. cover, which was good. Because it actually added to the pop. It was it was a really cool moment. It was cool in in, in attendance. And, and again, you got that you got that build up to the pop, which is a very loud pop uh, for Virgil. Now the outside the ring stuff. Um, DiBiase, I love how he gets a different residence based on the time of the year. Yeah. Oh, I love how in the in you know in the winter takes it up as residence in what is it West Palm Beach? Yeah, uh, sounds right. And yeah. Then, yeah, and in the summertime, he takes it up in Hyannisport. I mean, he's got Nantucket I, one of the times too, yeah, and there's Monaco uh, or sometime. I think, yeah. That's the stuff that WWE used to do. The little things that I used to love. Um, Heenan comes back, you know, from his little encounter. He's getting ripped. The funny part, like before, he can get his headset on. Piper's trying to like crack jokes at him, and you could, and they have the cameras on them. And Monsoon is trying to tell Piper he can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> and he's pointing. He can't hear you, Roddy. He can't hear you. Piper just keeps talking. Uh, so that was really cool. A um, couple of things that Heenan says. Uh, what happens if, if Virgil gets the million-dollar belt? All those diamonds and gold, he's going to get it all bronze. It's a great line. <laughs> um, you know, the Virgil has no pride. Uh, and then he says, well, what happens if he gets the purse money for this match? I hope I hope he doesn't put a down payment on something like a boombox. I mean, just, you know, Heenan's just in great form here. Great, a, a, just a fun match. You know, is it the best wrestling match of all time? No. But you tell me you're giving me Virgil versus DiBiase in this spot. I think this is pretty much as good a job as you can yep. get at it. We have rewatched a number of events where Ted DiBiase has been in a highly anticipated match and for some reason or another just does not deliver. Yep. Early 90s DiBiase was the tail end of his career. Maybe he was just out of gas at this point. Who knows? But this match delivered. This might be the most fun DiBiase match of this time period. I think you're right. That we've seen. And it's a really good match that showed DiBiase could elevate a guy to work on his level because Virgil had some experience. He worked a couple of years on the independent circuit before WWF hired him. So he wasn't a complete greenhorn in the ring, but 
this was a guy whose primary gig was standing outside the ring and taking all the heat for DiBiase so DiBiase could get away after doing something dastardly. Now, I liked the sequence at the start. They found something Virgil could do with the clotheslines and coming off the ropes and dumping DiBiase out to the floor. I loved how instead of the disqualification, which would have been the slimy heel thing to do, Hebner says, nope, we're keeping the match going, and Sherry, you're going back. It's a really good moment of a heel getting his comeuppance and seeing Virgil with the belt. That's as good as it got for him in WWF, and that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, this is another one of those where it's like, you look at this moment, and at this time, you would have never been able to predict that this was going to be the biggest for Virgil, right? Because he seemed like a big star. It seemed like a huge moment for him, like a getting over moment. And he was still around for a few years. And but after this, his job was more to put up, like to put over up and coming heels along the way. Um, so you would have figured that he would have gotten at least some like some love at the IC title level or, or some opportunities there. But it just never. Um, th- this was it. This was all. All of the built-in stuff from the years before And the problem was, as you mentioned Andrew, like, Virgil was He needed the right dance Partner in the ring, but he also needed The story, and he never was able to get, Was going to be able to get that kind of story That was built here with DiBiase Because he, he really wasn't an unbelievable promo either So, right. yeah, it just no, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there no, was no, one go thing ahead. That, I meant, that I didn't mention, and we need To touch on it, because we've touched on it A couple of times, and By the way, the way that I did that unintentionally is an okay segue because the one thing that I wish they did in this match was after the bell rang, tell the commentators to shut up because if you watch the match, Piper's going crazy, Heenan's going crazy, they're trying to one-up each other, and in the background you have Howard Finkel doing the and new million-dollar champion that should have stood alone. It should have been the commentators sitting back, giving Virgil his moment, letting the crowd go crazy and fully capturing that. And then you do Gorilla Monsoon doing the history has been made in Madison Square Garden. It could have been an even cooler moment. But because you had a guy like, say, Bobby Heenan and Roddy Piper were used to being the loudest guys in the room, it just didn't work as well as it should have. Yeah, and Piper, they with the stuff with Piper, they he was wanting to be excited and stuff. So I know it you means like he, they stepped on that little bit of a moment for him, but uh, still the best the best uh, night of uh, of Virgil who would go on to be in the NWO and be Vincent years uh, years later. I think I think a play on uh, on old Vinnie Mac when he was well, there. Well, Virgil was a play on Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes, so yeah. Sense. So they uh, they just even the score there. Um, now we get, I mean, another really fun. Fun match here this is the Mountie He was with the cops backstage and he's telling them How to treat the boss man after the match You don't take it easy on him and he's going Going ballistic here and then we Get the boss man with a, a heated intense Promo backstage And um, it's uh, it's the Mountie versus the big boss man in a Jailhouse match whoever loses This match is going to have to spend the night In the slammer in the jail The cops are going to take them from the Arena right back to a one of the nearby jails, and they're going to book them, and they're going to uh, put them in the slammer for the night. So, boss man, uh, this match starts, and again, this isn't a five star classic match wise, but you got the storyline, you've got the uh, the added bells and whistles here, and you've got a 
Big man that can move a little bit, Andrew, here with the boss man. And Drink you everybody. Glug, yeah. glug, glug. <laughs> You've got a heel that people love to hate. So this was just the formula for a match that the crowd was going to get into. I love the boss man spot where he would do the boss man version of the 619, where he drapes you on the, on the, on the top rope, and then he comes back and he gives you like the big leg over the back there. That was like a classic uh, boss man spot. And he had the advantage early for a while Jimmy Hart distracts him Mountie turns the tables on him outside the ring And uh, Gorilla with one of his great lines too He calls Bobby the fountain of misinformation Which we get a, a, a shit ton of that nowadays With, with folks on, uh, on social media um, uh, Bobby starts talking about uh, Piper's parents And Rowdy gets pissed you could tell that, like, he said this. He really rubbed him the wrong way right when he was going for him. Like, he said, uh, a little stiff there, boobs, at, at one point. And he was, uh, I think, genuinely a little bit upset. Um, and then how about this one by Gorilla? He says that Jimmy Hart is the greatest walking advertisement for birth control that he's ever seen. Wow! <laughs> that's your lead yeah. commentator. That's not the heel, Jesse. Like, that's your lead commentator doing that. I mean, gee, that was crazy. And uh, Mountie hits a pile driver. I mean, he's got the advantage. And, but he, he instead of going for the pin, he wants to use the cattle prod. And it's cool because... Um, he makes it like a signal to Jimmy Hart And Bobby catches it right away You know, he's the heel manager And he goes, they go, why isn't he, he pinning him? You know, and, and Bobby goes, oh, wait, wait, look They got, they're running, they got something They're gonna run a play here, you know And he, he meant, it's, it's really cool Like, cause Bobby, would, of course, would be the one to pick up on that Cause he pulls this crap all the time, you know And so, uh, the Mountie goes to grab the cattle prod And, um, he's about to, to hit it onto Boss Man And then the Boss Man rolls out of the way he punches Mountie, he gains the advantage And he picks up the win shortly after And uh, and then it's the cops come They cuff the Mountie, and they take him away And I mean, he does a great job As he, you know, as he leaves So we'll, we'll mention, the, and we'll get to some of the post-match stuff And the stuff with the Mountie in the jail But um, as far as, like, the lead-up And the match here, Darren um, Bossman, like, this, he had a good little couple-year run As this really good mid-card babyface The crowd was hot This is fun, and this is This is one of his bigger moments, too yeah, I, I was a big, I was a big boss man guy. I, I got a kick out of him. I loved his punch. I thought he had the best punch in wrestling. Awesome. Oh man, I mean, because it looked like it caught you flush every time. I don't know. I mean, I would watch that and think it, it looks so genuine how he's not breaking jaws because it was it was a serious punch. Um, funny thing, tongue in cheek in in the promo leading up and then and then with boss man. Now keep in mind it's nineteen ninety one. So, you know, we are saying this tongue-in-cheek, but you have the Mountie basically imploring the, the, the NYPD to summon on, like, police brutality with yeah. the boss man. Yeah. I mean, you have that going on. <laughs> and then you have the boss man walking down to the ring with the Confederate flag patch on his left arm. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> just little stuff like that where you're, like, you're reminded how different the world was in 1991 than it is in 2020. Um yeah, I thought Bossman's promo was was good heading in. I love when he puts that emphasis on, you know, praying to God that you get through the night. I thought that was a really good promo. Um, yeah, I've, you know, one thing I noticed, you, you talked about finishes. Bossman hits what is basically his finisher, and, and Mountie kicks out of it as yep, well. Here. He does. Yeah, which is something interesting. Uh, I love when he hits Mountie with the uppercut. The cattle prod goes sky high in the air. 
and somehow lands right back in the corner where it was. It's great. It's great. And Jimmy runs over to retrieve it, and Piper's like, oh, you little rodent, because he wants his boss man uh, to get it. But, uh, yeah, and then a couple, uh, after the match is over and they take Mountie away, I, I, every time I watch it, I try to find more backstage stuff. Two guys that I noticed when they go through the curtain, Steamboat is standing right there in Gorilla. Oh. Yep, he's right there off to the right. And then when they go down the hallway, they go past like the locker rooms. And for a split second, you get a peek into a locker room where there's a few guys and you see Ted DiBiase sitting right there on a chair. Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah. yeah. Every time they go through that sequence, I try to watch it to find more guys, but it's so quick, it's hard. But yeah, this was a cool match. Again, you know, it's the Mountie versus Big Boss Man with a cool stipulation. Monster pop when Boss Man wins. And the stuff that goes on in the jail, I mean, we could take it promo by promo throughout because they run clips of it throughout it. But some of the stuff, especially the, especially the last one. The last guy. <laughs> Again, 1991 versus 2020. <laughs> oh, man, is it funny. <laughs> Jacques Rougeau's finest hour it, as a comedic performer. It was good. Yeah. Rougeau had the reputation, justifiably, of being a really good, smart in-ring worker. They give him the Mountie gimmick. Nobody's entirely sure why they gave him the Mountie gimmick. He gets an Intercontinental title run uh, when Brett had some stuff going on. This match, though, <laughs> the stuff that's going on around it, he cuts a really good promo. Bossman cuts a really good promo. And Bossman was in the midst of a really nice run in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. You forget how over he was. And as we've discussed... I personally think they missed the boat on him being a potential intercontinental title guy and getting a run with that sort of a belt. He was never going to be a main eventer with that gimmick, but he would have potentially been an intercontinental title level guy had they given him a chance because he could work. And yes, he was a big guy who could move. Now, <laughs> th this match itself from bell to bell, from a technical standpoint, it's not that great. And I found that a little bit surprising given the two guys that are involved. This is a match where the heat is off the charts. From a technical standpoint, the match is just sort of eh. The big thing is what happened before it and what happened after. Because you get the Mountie getting hauled off to jail and he's resisting arrest <laughs> the whole way. They throw him into the paddy wagon. <laughs> and it's so good. It's so ridiculously good at what they were able to do here and giving the Mountie his comeuppance for insulting the boss man and being just the obnoxious smarmy heel that everybody wanted to see suffer. And we did see him suffer in a pretty big way. Uh, yeah. So th this um, match ends up going uh, 938. The, the Virgil DiBiase match before went 13 minutes, 11 seconds too. So um, some, some a couple of lengthy matches with, with good storylines with, with good builds and um, as uh, there, the cops come out. They cuff the Mountie. They take him away. And he's this is what you know Andrew was was pointing out. He's screaming and his voice, like the tone of the voice when he's like he's screaming as he's taken away and as they're booking him and everything. You're hurting me. You know he's just it's great. It's really good stuff. And then Bobby says, "This may be the last time we ever see the Mountie." <laughs> Before. 
<laughs> they, they, uh, they put him in the, the car and they, they drive him away and he's off on the way to uh, one of the local uh, NY, uh, NYPD stations. So we then get this barrage of promos. Um, just crazy. We get Ted and Sherry with Mean Gene. Ted is furious about what happened and how Virgil jumps him before. We get Jimmy Hart with the natural disasters. Um, they're all mad because the LOD came down and got involved in the, their little uh, angle. And, and then Jimmy Hart's freaking out, talking about calling his lawyers about what's going on with the Mountie. Um, we get the big boss man. He's celebrating. He's talking a little trash to the Mountie. What kind well, of bird? Doesn't don't fly. A jailbird. <laughs> and, uh, and then we see um, you know, some of the Mountie getting booked. We get promos from the Nasty Boys, LOD, Slaughter, just a barrage. Um, Darren, what are some of the things that stood out to you about uh, this kind of row of uh, of, of promos? Yeah, I mean the um, you know Jimmy Hart keeps talking about his lawyers. You know, <laughs> he's like he's like gonna have a stroke. Um, you know, Boss Man with the Jailbird line was funny. Then you, then you get Savage with with the you know if you listen to the Savage uh, on the phone, it's hysterical. Like if you listen to what he's saying, you know, where he's like, yeah, pretty direct question. I don't, we don't know each other that well. It's a freaking hysterical. Like, what he's saying to the guy on the, and I don't know if that, I'm assuming that's not really the 900 number, but he plays it off great. Um, <laughs> then Gene, you know, Gene wants to go talk to Elizabeth. Uh, I mean, it's it's just, it, it, it's really good. It's 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 great stuff. That's the, the, the savage thing is what stood out to me. There's one savage spot that's actually on the Coliseum home video that's not on the pay-per-view in the network, and it was probably filmed for the tape, but it's a savage Lord Alfred Hayes spot where Hayes has got, like, a tux on, and Savage is, like, pacing around. He's a nervous wreck, and he's focusing on Lord Alfred Hayes' bow tie, and he's like, <laughs> your tie is crooked. You know? <laughs> he fixes the tie, and he's like, now you look all right. Yeah, you know, it's like. And I, I was waiting for that spot, but it never comes up on the network version of the. Of the they always had some exclusive stuff on Coliseum Video, yeah. yeah, like the Royal Rumble. I remember with '92 with Flair telling you what what number he was. That was like a, an exclusive thing yeah. Um, yeah. where he says it, and then then you know the rest. They're kind of acting like it on the pay per view, but we don't we don't know on when you're watching that there. So there was always a few a few things there with that. Uh, um, anything that that jumped out to you of this uh, barrage of uh, of backstage segments, Andrew? Some of the segments sort of looked exactly the same, and the stuff with the Mountie all sort of blurs together. But my goodness, it was really cool the way that they were able to get everybody some FaceTime. Yes. Everybody had something to do. And that, I think, sums up early 90s WWF. Everybody had something that they were doing. It wasn't a case where you had 200 guys on the roster and only 40 of the workers that were contracted or making TV every week or in some sort of storyline, whatever. It was a case where, okay, here's your talent. You plan everything out very far in advance. We all merge things together and everyone's got a plan and who knows, maybe somebody organically gets over. It just spotlights the difference between the product 30 years ago and the product. Now the product now may be better in some ways, but you miss those little spots or they would give everybody something to do, some chance to get a little bit of shine, get some heat back. And it's a case where you look and you wonder and you see how they're using certain talent right now. And it's 
it's disheartening because you know they're capable of better booking and they're just not. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I jumped over uh, with the Nasty Boys. So one of the Nasty Boys in talking about the match with LOD uses the word coagulated in his promo. Where he said, he says, Jack, Tony, and LOD coagulated these rules. I was like, <laughs> did a nasty boy just say the word coagulate? Like, really? Like, yeah, that what? doesn't fit the character. And then, and, then it goes over, and then it goes over to, I think it goes over to Seg. Or no, Knobs, I think. And he's like losing his mind, you know, hawking animal. And he, it's like he's just rambling and he doesn't even know what he's saying. And he goes, he says, the heat's on. It's melting your face. <laughs> like, oh, it was saying coagulated. And you're talking about the melting heat. guys' faces. <laughs> <laughs> Just two two guys that were batshit crazy some of the time. Uh, the old nasty boys. I, I will say. This is another match that the crowd is like super hot for LOD. You know, as you would imagine, the the entrance and the pop and and everything, but. The match bothers me in that it's a it's a no DQ match, which yeah, is which is fine, and and yeah. that's like if you're gonna give me that with all of the LOD matches, I'm fine with it. But why the hell, first of all, are they tagging in and out? Why right. the hell are they listening to the ref when he's making them get out of the ring? Bobby and even mentions it at one point, like he's kind of like making fun of the rules, and he's like. This doesn't really make sense, you know. He's like he really doesn't get it, and I you're looking at it, and it's like. You know, you, you right away he he laughs and he says a hot start by LOD and Bobby says it's easy when you're wearing spikes. You know, yeah. I just I didn't like the no they didn't have the no DQ stuff really figured out yet. I guess at this point, but I mean I don't know. I just didn't it it, it was weird. Like watching it, that was one thing that just kept bothering me. I'm like, why are they tagging in and out? Or even if they are, like, why do they care when the refs coming and not? Why are they not using more weapons until late? Um. We get uh this is when Bobby starts to, to to do that stuff where he would pretend like he would have his uh his like assistance you know desk ringside or whatever he'd be like you know he'd start talking off and, and you'd kind of hear him and they'd say what are you doing you know and he'd say oh one of my people uh, checking on things and Sid isn't in his dressing room and uh, uh gorilla and then gorilla says what if he went to the bathroom <laughs> and, and then, Brain says, there's no, as quickly as Gorilla said that, Brain, like, totally straight faced. He's like, well, there's no way. He's got one in his own room. Yep. He wouldn't have to leave his room because he's got a bathroom in there. So, boom, Bobby just super quick right back there. Um, maybe a little too much LOD selling in this match, especially if it's like a no DQ match. I'm fine with these guys just kind of, you know, brawling for a little bit. But man, what a hot tag. And, and what are, I think a, for I'm not like super down on the match. It was just it was eh. But the really fun last minute when Hawk ended up using the helmet, and I believe with this win, they became the first team to ever be the AWA, NWA, and WWF tag team champions. Yep, I believe you are correct about that. Um, and the things that bothered you about the match also bothered me. Um, you know, but we are looking back on it, knowing what happens in no DQ now. Yeah, I don't think they had it quite figured out mm-hmm. then. But man, would I love to take this match and and give it like you know two thousand, even two thousand and seven, you know, elements around it and, and an understanding of what this match could be because the LOD versus the Nasty Boys in you know TLC, Street Light, yeah, yeah, oh, 
Um, the, but the one thing that drove me nuts, especially, is that even more than anything else, every time the Nasty Boys do something to cheat, they're hiding it from the ref. Like, yeah, it's like they're still playing. He's, he's yeah. hiding the can behind his back. He's hiding, you know, when, they, when they're choking him. The other guy is, like, going up on him with his shoulder, making it out like he's not choking him. Like, it's a no-DQ match. You don't have to hide anything. Just beat the crap out of each other, you know? Um, so that's, like, the one part of it that really bothered me. The match, again, I've never thought the Nasty Boys are good workers. I always thought they're stiff in the ring, and it's tough to get a really good match out of them. And we know what the LOD slash the World Warriors are, you know, just blunt force trauma, basically, with some cool moves. But the last minute's awesome. When they get him up in the Doomsday device and they got him up on the shoulders, the place lost its mind. I mean, probably in that moment, the loudest sustained roar that I've heard in a wrestling match, because it goes on for quite a while. And the pop when they win is just, I mean, you know, we know about the Road Warrior pop. This is a Road Warrior pop and then some. Uh, it's a really cool moment. It's one of the first times that you hear on the three count, the crowd in unison, one, two, three. They're all doing it. And, and this is when that kind of like started, you know, at a high level. Um, it's fun because it's LOD in a big spot winning the titles. Um, and it's, it's, it was even more fun watching it. I waited to watch this back because I wanted to watch the dark side of the ring on the road warriors, which was phenomenal. Um, before I watched this match to see what was going on at this point. And you learn some stuff, uh, about Hawk at this time and what he's going through and how animal is kind of at the end of the rope with Hawk at this point, because of all the nonsense that he's doing. And, uh, yeah, I didn't realize I knew that Hawk disappeared after SummerSlam 92. Uh, Andrew, I did not know that he was, like, out on his feet throughout the match. Uh, and I don't remember that they pulled them, you know, from a tag title match because of, you know, what the situation that Hawk was in. That I did not remember. But going back and watching it after the dark side of the ring, knowing to look for it, you really see it, that he's, he's obviously in another place. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the dark side of the ring. Uh, I've got a couple of notes from Dark Side of the Ring. I'll loop it in here. It must have been a really interesting experience to be an early 20s guy in the late 70s, early 80s Minnesota. Because chances are you got a lot of really good stories about all of the wrestlers that were in Minneapolis at that time. You had the Legion of Doom, Scott Norton, Rick Rude, Kurt Hannett, all these guys. The problem is most of the stories likely involve them kicking your ass. So it depends if you're okay <laughs> telling those stories or not. And you have to be in a certain place of mind to do that. Now, I prefaced this with that because, guys, I hated this match. And I'm going to tell you in painstaking detail why. It starts with a Road Warrior pop. It ends with a Road Warrior pop. Great. Fantastic. They got that part right. Right off the rip, there is a really bad botch. Sags gets spun around on an Irish whip, and he's supposed to go into the ropes. And instead of going into the ropes, he takes two steps to the side and falls down. Flat on his face. <laughs> and, and it's a case awesome. of you're going, oh, yeah. we're not off to a good start here. Yeah. 
So they repeat the spot. They try to go on. A couple minutes later, Jerry sags all his glory, goes to ringside to find anything he can to hit one of the Road Warriors with. He hits Hawk over the head with yeah. a plastic tub of soda? Yeah. I was like, what, what? I thought I know. What the hell was it? He wouldn't even it's know what it was. I thought it was Sid a helmet. It's squeegee, yeah. but it's bad. And you you just you see all the soda going around, and Hawk has to sell this, and Hawk never had to sell anything. The Road Warriors and selling didn't go so well together. So, and that's another problem. None of these guys were in any position to take a beating and sell for the other team. The yeah. Road Warriors were blunt force trauma. The Nasty Boys were sloppy. It just it, it didn't work for me on that level. And also, as Darren mentioned, it's really tough to see the Nasty Boys, even at this time, as any sort of a threat to the badasses Road Warrior Animal and Road Warrior Hawk. I just couldn't. And I hated being insulted to the point where you're like, oh, these guys could actually be thrown. No, not one single person at any point in time thought the Nasty Boys were going over. The coup de grace of lousiness in this match, though, comes near the end. Darren, you mentioned the hot tag. Yes, crowd goes crazy. But Hawk goes to the wrong corner first. <laughs> yeah. Now, he doesn't even know what he's doing some of the time right now at this point. Exactly. In his life. Yeah. And it, it's a bad botch, and we laugh about it. But Darren, as you mentioned, he was just off on another planet due to the personal issues that he was dealing with. And there are some people that can lock right in, phase all that stuff out and be a different person on camera. If you know what you're looking for with Hawk, you see it. And having watched the dark side of the ring, it just, it's heartbreaking. Thankfully he had a chance to, at the very least, find himself a little bit before he passed away far too early. But it's, this was uncomfortable to watch. So this ends up going 745 We get the new New tag team champions The LOD Huge pop But not yeah, not not great Just more about the LOD getting on our TV And now they're, they're the tag team champs We then get the Clip of uh, The Mountie getting put in the cell He's screaming here He's getting uh, uh, you know he'd been booked And we've seen him getting his fingerprints and everything And so now he's going to be put in the cell And then we'll talk more about that one at the very end That we uh, um, I'm an international law enforcement officer he, <laughs> I don't know his, why that line makes me crack up so much But it's so good It's so good No No He's just screaming And he's it's We're great. hurting like, You're yeah. This was the highlight of the show, man. It's really good stuff. And it's like, what's great is that this was like something, when you have something that's like going throughout the show, you're kind of looking forward to like the next time we're going to see him in the jail again. You know, you kind of like know that it's coming, you know, in in spots throughout. So um, this was a lot of fun. And uh, what's up next is not fun for you tax cheats. We're going to get Irwin or freaking shyster on our screen. I believe for the first time in a big Situation as IRS We last saw him Was it Wrestlemania 1 or 2 Where where, where he was uh, In the US Express I believe And I believe he had The the story about them uh, Rotundo and the tag team 
is that the initial like the Hulk Hogan real American music yep. was, was initially built for that tag team and it ends up going over to Hogan. Um uh, we get uh we get Greg the Hammer Valentine with some music. How about this? Greg the Hammer Valentine with an entrance song. He's been around for basically all of the pay-per-view era now starting with, you know, 85 and he, he's He's one of those mainstays that like is quietly on most shows. You know, when you look around, it's like there was usually a spot for the hammer, and his spot and his role here was just to help get IRS over. But uh, IRS cuts a little promo, um, and uh, Brain says that uh, IRS has Piper's number, <laughs> and, he, and he says everybody's a crybaby. And th- the thing about this match, though, like we, it was building up IRS as this slimy. Like weaselly heel The new honky tonk man so to speak Because he just is ducking out of the ring It's just a really slow match It's kind of filler to to help build this new IRS character Give him an established win Against an old you know Pretty like pretty decent name You know someone who's been in the company for a while You get a win over Valentine Former IC champ Um, And then we, whenever uh, IRS is in the ring Gorilla always starts mentioning I wonder why people don't grab him by the tie or the suspenders more often, you know, and, and that was always like a, a funny gorilla line. And um, Roddy says uh, th- this was this was funny, too. And Bobby does. Bobby's had the same line, I think, three or four times that you find him saying the same thing, because uh, Roddy Piper says uh, Hammer rarely makes the same mistake twice. And Bobby says, no, he usually makes it three or four times, <laughs> which is just quick, great, awesome. Uh, IRS wins with the roll up When Valentine went for the figure 4 Which I believe was the same ending In Mania 4 With Macho and Valentine When they wrestled in the tournament When he went for the figure 4 I think he rolled him up there too um, In in a similar uh, spot So this wasn't much This was another like I guess one of the few Not necessarily down spots on the show But they're just trying to build up the new IRS heel character Yeah And then Funny because they actually pointed out a couple times in the in the show uh, in the match where he calls for the figure four twice and then doesn't go for it. Yeah, which is kind of weird. And then when he does go for it, he gets beat with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it's just kind of filler. Um, I, I don't know if you noticed during during the uh, during the match they were talking about uh, the the main event coming up, and Bobby accidentally referred to Sid Justice as Sid Vicious. Oh. I wouldn't. I wonder. I wonder if he got a talking to for that one. A little slap uh, on the wrist. Hey, hey, yeah, Sid, Sid vicious is a banned word, Bobby. You can't say vicious. It's justice. Um, but yeah, I, I. And then in addition to that, the one thing I was waiting for, and I guess it didn't happen yet, but one of the things that they end up doing later on for IRS is that they would do that spot in matches usually where someone like steps on his tie mm-hmm. and he goes, "He's standing on his tongue." <laughs> I was I was waiting for that to happen, but it but it didn't happen in this match. But yeah, I mean it's it's filler. It's the the cool down after LOD and before the main event. Um, you know I like when Gorilla you know collateral lateral ligaments and you know Bobby's like you just call it the knee for the humanoids. Piper <laughs> goes, you mean for you? You know, <laughs> um, it's funny. I mean you know there's some funny stuff going on, but. There's really, you know, they, they, they kind of, the one thing that Bobby does in the beginning of the match, aside from this, um, he starts to plant the seeds about uh, Undertaker and Jake the Snake. Yeah, there's a, right. rumor, there's a rumor that the Undertaker and Jake the Snake are in the building. And um, by the way, so 
Another thing, Coliseum Home Video, you get a post-wedding ceremony. The reception, the yeah. Take the snake. Uh, yeah, the reception. They kind of uh, ambush it and everything like that in, in a pretty, you know, clever and uh, really, you know, heelish spot. Um, that you did not see that uh, in like when you were at SummerSlam. Like SummerSlam ended when when Macho and, and Elizabeth left. You didn't see like a post-wedding uh, reception on the Jumbotron or anything like that. So, but they started, they planted the seats for that, which I thought was pretty cool. I wanted to really like this match because Mike Rotunda might be the most underrated in-ring talent of this era. And he could procreate very well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. (laughs) He wound up after WrestleMania one with the U S express. He went to the AWA. His very first match, uh, I believe, was against uh, Doug Summers on AWA television. This was on ESPN Classic. It used to be on a loop. They used to run four or five AWA wrestling shows a day. And I watched this match for the first time a couple of years ago, and it's Mike Rotunda looking an awful lot like his son, Bo Dallas, going for 20 minutes, not getting blown up. He was legitimately really good if you only know him as irs or as bk wall street and the nwo look back at his awa stuff it's shockingly good you have greg valentine who all kidding aside was a sound technical worker who as gorilla monsoon loved pointing out he only gets warmed up in 20 minutes (laughs) yet he never got 20 minutes to actually work and maybe he should have because when he was called upon he could work a really good match. Look at the dog collar match he had with Piper back at the first Starcade. This match, though, it was the cool down match, and it was a decent technical wrestling match. The problem was this crowd, which had been hot for absolutely everything up to this point, this was the one match where it didn't seem like anybody cared. Yeah. And why would they? Yeah. IRS was fairly new. Greg Valentine was a guy, yeah, he's been around for a while. He's on his way out, though. He doesn't have a lot of shine on him at this point. No. IRS wins with the small package, and it's a decent technical match that serves the purpose, but I I just, I wanted to like it more, given the two guys that were involved, and again, Mike Rotunda, really good worker in his prime. So it just went uh, over seven minutes here, and uh, as Darren kind of joked about, um, IRS, the father of Bo Dallas and also the father of Bray Wyatt, um, who we kind of always had. I always wanted those two guys to get together. I wanted Bo to be a member of the Wyatt family. I thought that would have been a. a I wanted IRS to audit the fiend. Right? Yeah. uh, That segment wouldn't rule. And hey, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, VK Wall Street character, which is funny. So he 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 when he was in WCW and he was playing the VK Wall Street character, which was right before I believe he came and played this IRS character. He actually was um was um accompanied to the ring by Terry Runnels at the time. She was uh she was his valet, and what they would do is they had a computer. That could predict the York Foundation. Yeah, it was it was a cool gimmick for the time. Like this computer could predict it, when he was going to beat people, how long he was going to beat people. It would tell. It would basically, you know, project his match out. Which I mean, how many 
things that we look at now, everything is used based on projection. So it's it's so funny that that was you know his thing. It didn't he he was a mid card guy, and you know what? To be honest, he he was best served throughout his career as a tag team wrestler. That's where he he was the best because he's a good hand, but he's not quite interesting enough to really make a dent like up into the main event level. But when you pay when you you package him up with DiBiase, they were legitimately like a main event tag team. For a little while because of the cachet that DiBiase had and you put them together and, and you have a you know um a, you know a, a little more with the bells and whistles with those two so yep he he was a good a good part of a uh, WWF for the next few years and and he was a big a big part of WWF backstage for many years I believe he just got furloughed when yes he did he was he one did. of the guys when they had a lot of the layoffs and I mean otherwise he had been backstage as a producer and an agent and in different roles for many many years. Um, as we get to now the setup for the main event, um, it's a promo with Hogan and with Warrior, and Hogan mentions 1984, which was you know uh, a uh, allude to when he beat Iron Sheik, who is Colonel Mustafa on the other side. Warrior talks not a whole lot really from Warrior in the promo. Um, they're just kind of making Hogan's really trying to sell that this match is so damn important. You know, you it's like they're telling Hogan you got to make this match seem like the big deal, right? Because people don't care because you're not defending your title or or this or that. And and he's this is as big as any title defense. You know, as he keeps saying it, the future of the WWF. And uh, then there's that awkward moment at the end when you know they speak together. What you gonna do when Hulkamania and the Ultimate Warrior run wild on you? And I'm not kidding. For a moment, I thought they were going to kiss. It looked, it really looked like it. They grabbed each other's heads and they were like right up in each other's faces. And I'm like, are these guys about to just plant one on each other? But uh, um, and and then we get uh, we get the the promo and the big question of the match with you know with Sergeant Slaughter and Mustafa and General Adnan is how is Sid going to act? And Darren, I'm sure you'll mention this a little bit more. That was that was a big part of this match. That was like. It again, like Slaughter, Mustafa, and Adnan are just interchangeable team, right? This was this match was more about Hogan and Sid. We know Warriors leaving; he's going to be out of there. And these are three guys that, at this point, Adnan's fifty-one, Iron Sheik Mustafa is forty-eight, and Slaughter is the uh, the young spry gentleman at forty-three. And it just it, it's a match that, and I will say, I think Andrew's going to mention this point too. It's not. It has no right to be a good match with these five that are going to be in the ring. I mean, if you're going to rank them from like their level of work, you probably would start to be honest with Slaughter, which is really funny, you know, like of his body of work. And then maybe I mean I, I don't even know. Um, it's it's a little. So this is a three on two handicap match. So it's Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior with Sid as the special guest referee versus Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel Mustafa, and General Adnan. And um, the the one thing is, is we mentioned it a few times How much better this match would have been If you're giving me Jake and The Undertaker And if the reason why you don't want them to be in Because you don't want someone to lose Or this or that It's like fine Then give me kind of a smalls finish Because this isn't closing the show anyways Hogan's gonna pose And you're gonna end with the, with the wedding And the crowd's gonna go home happy And everything else on this show Was a freaking cloud Like a crowd pleasing moment For the most part So it would have been fine to have Jake and Taker here um, nonetheless, I kind of feel with Andrew in that I think I was so down on this main event when I started watching it that I was expecting absolutely nothing from it that it I didn't come away thinking it was bad 
in any way, you know, especially when you're just going to get back and forth, kind of slow at the beginning. Heels get the advantage. She puts Hogan in the camel clutch for a minute. At one point, they're all five in the ring. Um, and then Hogan uses the powder in the eyes and, and Warrior ends up chasing Adnan and Mustafa back into the locker room after the match, like right at the very end of the match before Hogan gets the pin on Slaughter. And then Warrior's gone till Mania 8. So, you know, this, again, I think I was set my expectations low for this particular match on the show. So to me, it wasn't bad. It's never going to be considered a great match any, in any way, shape, or form. But the Sid stuff, Darren, at least made it interesting. It did. Uh, the, like I said, the crowd was really hot for him. He's a an imposing, physically impressive figure, for sure, to say the least. Um, I also forgot, there's nothing spectacular about it, but I don't know why. I forgot. I liked his, his entrance music with that, like, there wasn't a whole lot to it, but I don't know why. It was just like to fit snap. him. It just looked yeah, like yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it did. It fit him. I, and for some reason, I, I like it. Um. I like when 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 Hogan comes in the ring, he looks at Sid and and he like flips him the belt as if to say, "Hey, bro, hold on to this for a second. You know, yeah. he throws the belt out. I don't know why. Just thought that was a, a cool spot. Uh, Heenan obviously is playing up the whole Sid thing with Justin and says something. You know, you know if uh, if something's up, if uh, if Adnan uh, winks and Slaughter smiles or something like he's playing up all these weird. Like things that we should be looking for to determine if Sid is in somebody's back pocket, and he puts it to rest pretty quickly when he takes the strap away from Slaughter, which is kind of ridiculous that he's trying to hit Hogan with a belt right in front of Sid. Like I didn't yeah. really get that, but okay. Um, the funny part for me is that, in my view, three of the best wrestling moves in this match come from the Warrior, which is yeah. something I never thought you'd say. He's, he hits a good-looking inverted atomic drop. Real nice looking vertical suplex, and in my opinion, probably the best flying clothesline of his career. Um, it's a really good looking flying clothesline late in the match. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, the, the bar is not high coming into this, but it exceeds your expectations and it, and it makes it good. Um, I will mention we talked, we alluded to this earlier. Um, Warrior chases them out with the, with the uh, the chair, and the you know the story goes that McMahon was waiting for him to come through the curtain to fire him because Warrior held him up for hundreds of thousands of dollars before the match, telling Vince, uh, "I'm not going out there unless you pay me X." You know, it's been stipulated by people. Who knows what the amount of money was? Who knows if it's exactly true? But that's as the story goes. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it with this going into to Andrew. Why did Hogan have to cheat to win with the powder? I know. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get that. Like, I mean, if that made it fun, okay. I don't get why you had to throw powder in Slaughter's face to beat him. But okay, and, and and I mean, look, it was you know, is it a five star match? No, did it do what it was supposed to? Yes, uh, you know, it, it, everyone went home happy, and it's better than you expected, minus a couple of things that make you scratch your head. As we mentioned at the outset of this show, I really liked this match. I admittedly had low expectations for it. 
I knew of all of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes, obviously warrior holding Vince up for money, allegedly Hogan trying to get iron Sheik allegedly to break ultimate warriors leg. If you haven't seen the WWE produced documentary on the last couple days of warriors life, go and watch it. They actually tackle the court case that came from the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior DVD. It's fascinating in that regard. Now this match I want to send a special shout out to Sergeant Slaughter, because if you look at early 1991, he is pudgy. He's carrying a whole bunch of extra weight around. He's moving slow. He's not athletic. He looks like a guy who is so far past his prime. By this point, he's lost what looks like about 30 pounds, and he's busting his butt, taking every bump you can possibly imagine. There was a spot in this match where Slaughter goes up to the top rope. Warrior pushes him, and yeah. Slaughter flies a good three-quarters of the way across the ring. No, that the was genuinely impressive. And that's not something I think he would have been able to do at the early part of 1991. It's like when... he worked himself into shape, exactly. you know, like throughout yeah. the year. Yeah, because I think he came back, and, and he's in these main event pictures right away, and he's going long, and it's like... He's getting blown up in some of these matches And they're slow and plotting This felt like a different version of Slaughter You're right, he was definitely selling a lot And and he was bumping much more Like He was taking bumps that he didn't take in the big matches Against Warrior and Hogan earlier Yeah, and it's a case where You look at him And he's busting his butt You look at Colonel Mustafa A.K.A. the Iron Sheik Darren, you mentioned Warrior may have the three best moves In the match I think Mustafa's got the fourth. He hits the sweet gut-wrench suplex on Hogan. And you're wondering, where the heck did that come from? Because this is the Iron Sheik who, 10 years later, they'd do the gimmick battle royal at WrestleMania, and he'd win because he couldn't take the bump over the top rope. He couldn't fall out. (laughs) They had no choice. He has to win. (laughs) But everybody brought it. In this match, and it's a case where I feel like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, especially given everything that was going on backstage. You had all the politics with Warrior, you had Hogan naturally upset, and just a callback to the top of the show, if you know what you're looking for when they talk about the main event right off the rip, when Piper gets the mic for the first time, he says, Hogan hates Warrior, Warrior hates everybody. Don't you love thinly veiled comments like that that wind up making all the sense in the world once the story comes out? So Hogan wins, and you mentioned the powder, and I love Gorilla Monsoon's explanation. It's victory powder, brain! (laughs) Just trying to work Bobby Heenan into a frenzy. And then Hogan signals to the back. Sid Justice comes out. He's confused. I think the fans are kind of confused. This but was funny, going though. With it. This was funny. And the second he gets in the ring, the first pose he does brings the house down. Yep. That's what we're talking about when we talk about star quality and someone having the it factor. It's that moment right there turning sort of a goofy moment that doesn't make a whole lot of sense into, yep. That's the guy. This was a good, like, you don't think of Sid just this, Sid being, like, a good actor. But when he came back out to the ring 
And he was playing that like aloof buddy He was doing a damn good job With like some of like He was acting like a little kid that's never posed before You know like it was like this is the first time That he's doing he's trying to mirror and mimic Everything Hogan's doing but he's just doing Like a kind of a real sloppy job About it Uh, I mean it was It was great it was like it showed some layers there It's almost like he's infatuated like With Hogan you know like he's the guy that He's my buddy that I look up to and I liked it there was just some weird like layering In there and then uh, we get Gorilla Who he says um Take a look at that body when when Hogan rips Sid's shirt off, which is just so funny. And um it's it's funny. It's funny at the end, and it, you know, you get you get Hogan posing, you get Sid posing with him, and it looks like, you know, nobody knows. They even say at one point, Where's Warrior? You're like Piper or Heaton is like, Where's the Warriors? Like he chased them off. And then Piper even says, There's gotta be a big brawl going on backstage, you know, and um they probably I wonder if they, if like Vince has told them, oh, yep, I just fired Warrior. He's gone. <laughs> you know, like in the, he's gone. He's literally out of here now. Um, and that's your main event match. And uh, we get one more look after this at the Mountie. And this was the one that you're talking about, Darren. So the Mountie is now in his jail cell. And he's got a couple different people that are in the, sale, the cell with him. And he's screaming and he's banging. He's trying to get the cops to let him out. And we get one guy who just creepily. Like slink, slinks up next to him And he's wearing a leather jacket And he's got a bandana on And he just talks in the real Like obviously I'm trying to be a gay guy You know way that I'm speaking Don't you just love the way leather feels against your body And uh and This, <laughs> this was just hilarious I mean this was so funny I like, I like 1991 guys 91 I like the guy, the, the drunk guy that like that like brought the, the guy in the leather in where he comes up alongside and goes, You wanna fight me, buddy? <laughs> There's me, buddy. <laughs> it's just it's all so great. Like it's so dumb and hysterical that I, I mean you just can't help but laugh and Mountie's going nuts and yeah, it's it's a it's just that that was one of the best things they did. The whole thing with the jailhouse. And all the, the different video, you know, going to the jail throughout the show, which they aired in. I mean, we were all dying. It was it was hysterical. Yeah, and that's one of the things where you can tell they were having so much fun filming this. It's a yep. case where you look at Jacques Rougeau, he's getting a chance to show a completely different side of himself to people who said, oh, he's a good technical wrestler, but he doesn't have charisma, he can't act, whatever. This was him saying, no, you're wrong. I can do a whole heck of a lot of things. And this is a guy that had a respected career in the business. A guy that Hulk Hogan actually laid down for at a house show. Yes. Yeah. I remember that that rumor. Yeah. It was a sign of respect for Hogan for the Rougeau family. Nitro, right? On a Nitro, I believe. It wasn't on a Nitro. It was at a house show. Oh, yeah. It was a house show. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I think Hogan might have gotten his win back on the Nitro right after that. But it was a house show that Hogan worked, and out of respect to the Rougeau family, he actually laid down. Which, and that's uh, you can count on one hand how many times Hogan did that. It's off the, brand, that's yeah, for sure. Th- throughout his <laughs> career, so this main event match goes twelve minutes and forty seconds. It's uh, it's surprising, and then that's the final Mountie in the jail clip, and then we get a main event. Yes, we end the show not with the match to show you the popularity of the Macho Man, Miss Elizabeth, and this angle. An angle that was five and a half years in the making, you know, from when Macho came in and the initial 
you know, angle with Macho coming in was remember he he was going to pick his manager who it was, and they were all lining up to to try to uh, provide their services for Macho, all the managers at the time, and he ends up going with Elizabeth, and um, so we get the wedding, and we see this you know this video package to a song that goes through their entire history, all the build up. I mean, this thing was really good, especially for the time, and um, and then they're in the ring, they. Uh, they get, you know, Macho comes down first, and then Miss Elizabeth comes down to um to the wedding the wedding march, and Macho's wearing a white, which is just hilarious too. You know, it's like, come on, buddy, you couldn't have pulled off the black tux at the, today, but he's wearing white. He looks good. I guess it doesn't really take anything away from it. You know, um, he this segment. I mean, even now, when I'm watching that video clip, the video that sets it up, and I guess it's it's sad because obviously we know that both of these. Um, folks are gone. You know, they're 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 not around anymore. Uh, they've both passed away, and so it makes it a little more sad. I think when you're watching it. But I was just like the buildup. You know, you get a I get a little teary eyed like seeing their back and forth and the way they present this relationship. You know, through the years, and then Macho he he comes out um, and and there you know that he starts talking to Miss Elizabeth and um, I love when they um, we see the buildup and they're they show when he proposed. And he says, uh, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, uh, uh, Elizabeth, I love you. You know, and he, he stops, he hesitates, and, and then Piper's on the commentary too. He's like, get down on one knee. If you're going to do it, do it right. And he gets down on one knee and, Elizabeth, will you marry me? And, and, and she comes with the, uh, oh, yeah. And stellar voice work by Zeno you know, gentlemen. And uh and and then as they're coming down the aisle, so this was the, the build up in the package we see, and as they, as he walks down the aisle, Piper goes absolutely ballistic on Hunan, telling him, Boobs, I'm married, I've got a wife, this was one of the greatest days of my life. If you screw up this wedding, I am gonna I mean he goes Crazy, so we know one thing Piper is pro marriage, you know, which uh, hey, yeah, and uh, this it, it's it, it's incredible though. I mean, Darren, we see grown men crying throughout this, and um, and a couple funny Bobby lines. He says, Machos at the gallows, and and, and then you know, we get we get a freaking wedding as the main event of SummerSlam '91 to absolutely beloved characters. You know, for for the past, you know, the the better part of a of a decade now, um, in WWF prior to this, and this is one of those like emotional things that it's like I still get you know get a little goosebumps when I watch back on this. Yeah, it's like you said, and I'll reiterate it, especially for Elizabeth. It is sad knowing how you know how her life ended, and you know you can't help but think about that. Um, and we've gone through that in a, in a couple of different pay per views. Uh, speaking about some of the things specifically, number one, the video package—they changed the song. I don't know if either of you ever saw the original oh. one. If you, yeah, SummerSlam '91 on Coliseum Video, the song was a song called "Together," and I'm pretty sure if you Google it on YouTube, that's one that comes up. You get that song. I don't know where this song came from um but they changed the song for for the wwe network for whatever reason um 
So that's uh, one thing I noticed. Um, yeah, Bobby's great. Why do they call, call the second guy the best man? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you heard, but the ring bear is really a midget. I mean, he's, you know, he's just doing typical, you know, great Bobby stuff. And then <laughs> one thing, during the wedding ceremony, I'm dying laughing because I never really paid much attention to the vows. The end of Randy's vows. What the hell is the guy that is performing the ceremony saying? It ends with these words. In thee and thou, and thereto, I plight thee my troth. What the hell does that mean? I married. I had to stand up and say vows. None of those words were in the vows. Well, that just means you weren't trying hard enough, Darren. I mean, come on. Stop you didn't game, be man. in thou? I plight thee my troth. Does anybody know what that means? Are we marrying pigs here? I just don't no know. No one knows what yeah. it means, but it's provocative. Get the people going. So, Andrew, I will leave you. With a plight of my trough. <laughs> Darren, I'm just saying, if and when you renew your vows or do any sort of anniversary celebration, I'm just saying, if that doesn't make your vows, I'm going to be very upset with you. <laughs> I'm going to stop the ceremony from wherever I am, and I'm going to storm out like Roddy Piper did in the middle of Uncle Elmer's wedding, going, mm -hmm. you stink, you stink, and this whole goddamn wedding stinks. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> reference on the other wedding. Yeah, Thank you. I was, I was proud of myself for that. It's right off the top of my head. Um, part of the reason, in all seriousness, that I sort of did that and went in another direction, this was really uncomfortable for me to watch. And yeah. I understand the significance at the time. I understand that these two were beloved, not just liked, not just fan favorites. They were beloved by everybody for varying reasons, knowing what they were going through, knowing that their marriage in real life was on the rocks, knowing that this might've been an attempt to save the marriage in some way, shape or form, knowing that in a very short time they would be divorced, knowing how things ended with Elizabeth, knowing how things would end with Randy. It's one of those things where, as a, what we call a smart fan who knows what's going on with the business and the people in it, that actively hurts on a rewatch yeah. because you just once you want to be able to turn that setting off. You want to be able to sit back, relax and enjoy something for what it was at the time, which was 29 years ago. You just can't. It's so hard to separate. Right. And, it just it really is. And, and I don't like being the downer. I genuinely do not like being the contrarian at this point in time. I hate it. I hate it. I rewatched it. I wanted to love it. I wanted to be so happy for him. At the midpoint of the whole thing, I'm just going, oh, my God, what the heck have I gotten myself it's, into? It's just and sad. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, very sad. It's not a viewpoint that I'm proud of. I wish I could say that, you know, I was tearing up for the right reasons. But it was uh, that was tough. And looking back and seeing how beloved they were, how well this went over and 
unfortunately how it would end for both of them. It's, it's, it's incredibly sad. It's, it's devastating to people who loved him as fans, loved him as people. It's not an easy thing to rewatch. So what I'd advise you to do is if you're one of those emotionally uh, sensitive people like yours truly stop watching SummerSlam 91 with Hogan and Sid in the middle of the ring doing the pose because it gets hard. Yeah, it does. It's just, um, the, go ahead, Darren. I was just going to say, and I'll, and I'll tell you another thing from, from being in the crowd, everybody, not only did everybody stay for this, they stood throughout it. Like they were at a real wedding because people thought this was a real wedding. Yeah. Like they, like they thought, okay, well maybe they're really going to have like another wedding someplace else. But people thought that this was like, we you don't know. know the backstories. We don't know that these two are already married in real life. And like as Andrew said, their marriage is on the fritz. In a year from now, they're divorced. Um, yeah. So we don't we don't know any of this stuff as kids. And we just think that these two are like finally getting together for the first time. And it was one of those moments where, I mean, you, it's it's a thing that if you mention the wedding, and there's this one's immediately the one everybody thinks of. And this was, you know, we remember. The Macho Man lost at WrestleMania 7, so he's not wrestling right now. He's yeah. he's not a, an active wrestler. They had to figure out things for him to do, and what they were able to do was when Ultimate Warrior leaves, Vince looks around and goes, oh, crap, I definitely need Randy back now for, for a little while at least. And so they're able to, to turn the feud that was supposed to be with Jake the Snake and Ultimate Warrior. That was kind of – I mean, Ultimate Warrior and Jake and Undertaker had a pretty intense – Feud going on leading up to SummerSlam Where they locked under uh, Ultimate Warrior inside a casket For a little while which was pretty crazy And he had to get revived by like Mouth to mouth it was like he was out And he ends up coming back and he's like a changed warrior So they, they call the audible And they after this They end up bringing Savage back And he gets reinstated And it's actually at this Tuesday in Texas Where he has the match against Jake the Snake And then he ends up coming back and we know he ends up winning the title at uh, at WrestleMania eight, uh, not even a year from from here, and then the year from from here he's got an awesome match at SummerSlam ninety two with the Warriors. So, just sad, lots going on. Um, but at the time, this was a huge deal, just a really really big deal. And uh, we end the show with the wedding. And as Darren mentioned, when they have the the post show. Um, reception we do see That the Undertaker and Jake the Snake attack Macho Man and they they Crash the wedding and this sparks The feud with the Macho Man and Jake the Snake That becomes a very very intense feud That lasts for you know six Eight months moving forward Um, Good show man I mean Darren this is a good pick on your End Uh, got to applaud you for that It was fun too it was a a quick Rewatch I think the show only times Out overall at like Two hours 40 minutes so so you're not necessarily Getting into like the four hour mark when we're Rewatching this thing and This was a, a big night For a lot of different folks Right for Brett for Virgil Big night for Big Boss Man Andrew you Even mentioned it for the Mountie he was great You know on the heel end tonight you get the LOD winning their you know their tag Titles it's a big night for Sid as he's Posing with Hogan you know one of the big Main events Randy and Liz You know have a huge angle so just A, a fun Big night throughout And Darren good call on this one What are your closing thoughts on the show Yeah it's probably 
you get two great SummerSlams back to back. I know you went over ninety two with with Bean. Mm-hmm. Ninety one, ninety two, in my opinion, are two of the best SummerSlams of all time, and yep. and I think that's true uh, to this day. You you really get two great ones back to back. And when I heard you you guys were doing ninety two, I thought you know we should do ninety one because some stuff in ninety one obviously rolls into into ninety two, but it's just a genuine genuinely good show. Uh, it's a keep the crowd happy the whole time and. Again, it's just, uh, you know, if you listen to this and you go and watch, uh, I can't understate it, you know, the the level of enthusiasm from the crowd from start to finish, just sustained. Uh, it, it was it was just a sight to see. It was really cool. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the advantage of doing these things two and a half hours instead of seven, you know. Yeah. Because when you get into hours four, five, and six, man, it's hard <laughs> on, on everyone. It's hard on the it's fans hard. too. Like yeah, we're able to hard. get into all of these matches and have so much more fun take to, to taking them apart and dissecting them. You know that we and we unfortunately um and, and and I'm sure some point we'll get to some more modern shows and stuff, but we just aren't going to be able to do that kind of you know yeah. like analysis like we we do with with these matches and talk about fun stuff and backstories and this and that and so uh, Andrew um. Two things first you've got the choice for next week So in the in the next few minutes think about What the selection is going to be And uh, second what, are, what were your kind of final big picture thoughts On this show To channel Batista I've known what I was going to do For a long time <laughs> Darren get the table ready So I can put Gino through it Anyway <laughs> So this was a fun show uh, Stuff aside about the last 20 minutes I enjoyed this show. There were some real highlights. The main event was a real pleasant surprise. I didn't remember that match being good at all, and I genuinely enjoyed it for what it was. Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart put on a clinic early on in the show. A couple of other really good matches as well. The opener was really good. You had Virgil beating Ted DiBiase for the million-dollar belt. Something for everybody on this show. Uh, you've got the Mountie in his, you know, star performance in his WWF career doing his, you want the finger? Here's the finger routine. Uh, that's the one line we hadn't done yet. And I needed to get that in before, uh, before we got under the gun. Um, at any rate, the next show we're going to do is going to be something from my old stomping grounds. We're staying in this era and I'm so happy to be able to announce this right now, the 1992 Royal Rumble nice. from the Knickerbocker nice. Arena in Albany, New York. Nice. I worked in for two years at Siena College Basketball. It is going to be so much fun talking through the Royal Rumble match. And that undercard's pretty cool, too, because the opener with the new foundation is surprisingly good. There's a really bad match that we can have so much fun just crapping all over. And then you get the Royal Rumble with Flair being Flair and him getting his shining moment in WWF. That Royal Rumble, obviously up there with the best Royal Rumbles of all time, in my opinion, regardless of stipulations, it's one of the best WWF matches of all time, period. It's so much fun, and I'm looking forward to diving in with you guys next week. That is fair to Flair, Andrew. That is fair Woo! to Flair. We are going to have a blast talking Rumble 92. There are some of the all-time 
my my all time favorite promos in that show. Like everybody gets their opportunity to talk about you know to, to cut their promo on winning the title. Uh, you know Piper has a great one talking about winning two belts. He's going crazy. Macho has the good one. He's I'm been to the top of the mountain and I'm going back. Yeah, I'm going back. Yeah. So we're gonna have a, a fun time watching and discussing Royal Rumble '92, and it's it's a great time. Because we just talked SummerSlam 91 So it fits really perfect There's literally only one show in between the That and this show And it was uh, Survivor Series 91 So um, Royal Rumble 1992 For next Thursday Darren let the folks know where we can find you online And then Andrew you follow Twitter uh, at the track 7 uh, We got uh, opening weekend at Churchill We got we got more racetracks We got San Anita We got Churchill We got stuff to talk about yeah, on Twitter yeah. Very excited. Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, even though we can't go to the track and bet, uh, hey, you know what? The more tracks that race, the better. And everything that opens up is one more step closer to life as we know it, mm-hmm. right? So celebrate that. Uh, let's have a good weekend. But yeah, Twitter uh, at the track seven. And for me, it's at Andrew Champagne. Quick, cheap plug. Myself and J.D. Fox interviewed Matt Dinnerman, the track announcer at Golden Gate Fields. was a really fun conversation. The back half of our conversation was talking about today's pick six sequence, which had a mandatory payout. None of us came close, unfortunately, but it was hard. 15 to it 20 was minutes hard, or man. So. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was actually surprised it didn't pay as much as I, I thought it I would. I agree. I thought it was ten, going to be ten at least, and it was like yeah. only around six. I would. It just seemed like one of those tricky sequences where even the horses that were short prices weren't necessarily going to be singles on people's tickets. Right. I didn't even use the horse in the first leg. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was really strange, but obviously very happy. Golden Gate Fields is back. Yes. Happy Santa Anita is back. Happy Church Hill is back. Hopefully more tracks follow uh, Saratoga. <coughs> I'm so sorry. I've, I've had a, does anyone have a lozenge? <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Darren will be the first to alert us uh, with the, the happenings over there in New York. Um, but yeah, great to see. I mean, it, it's fun and it's just some, some normalcy coming back now uh, and we'll have a little more to discuss. So fellas, thank you very much. When we talk next week, we're going to be talking about um, one of, I think, all of our favorite shows and, and one of most people's favorite shows. It's just an excellent, excellent show from top to bottom, Royal Rumble 92. So if you want to follow along with us, you've got some homework over the weekend. Uh, watch 92 Rumble, and we'll be here to talk about it next week. Don't go anywhere, though, folks. We've got a little bit more left on That's What G Said. A big thank you to... Eric, a big thank you to Darren Zocali, who shows up on this podcast two different times. Big thank you to Andrew Champagne. Thank you to our sponsors, Sarah Candle Company and Cindy Carava. Make sure to get to uh, visit them on their websites and check out their information. You know, with Sarah Candles, you get uh, 10% off your purchase when you use that promo code Gino. Don't forget to download, subscribe, rate, and review. That's what she said podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, share it around with your friends. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We close things out with my good friend, Joey Cleveland. Take it away, buddy.